everybody and welcome to the wrestling 20 years ago podcast my name is rory mcnamara it's wcw great american bash 1999 i tried i tried everybody eric eric landstrom is here and you said to us off air that we need to try to be as positive as possible i lasted 10 seconds oh no this is the positivity train running all the way through the end of june 99 my friend Bob, I think it's I think it's rubbing off. To be honest with you, well, well, I'm I'm being positive in the sense that I don't have any vodka in my Pepsi immediately to my left. So we are making some positive progress in that regard. 
You take the wins where you can. I should just say, everybody, to confirm, Eric Glamstrom and Bob Colling are with me on this. Well, let's call it a journey for now as we look at June 99 in World Championship Wrestling. Before we set the train rolling, um, that's going to be a metaphor for the next two hours, isn't it, Eric? <laughs> that bridge up ahead looks awful rickety, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's, even, even you can't do it, even you. Just to say, everybody, we do have a Patreon available. Patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 years. Do fire us up on there if you want to drop us anything to say thank you for looking at shows like this one and enriching your lives with the niche comments we're going to deliver over the next two and a half hours and everything we have given for you over the last nearly six years. Every little helps. If you give us one dollar, as soon as the show is edited, it will be with you before anybody else if you wish to drop us $5, you will get special bonus shows each and every month. More details on those towards the end of this show, should you still be listening then. So, Eric, with our loins well and truly girded, let's go in with the news. My question is, the P stands for profit, right? Well, it certainly does for him because rapper Master P has signed a one-year deal with WCW to be a recurring in-ring performer. He is apparently, and I might need your help on this one, everybody, uh, NFL rookie running back Ricky Williams' sport agent. Does that mean anything to either of you? Yeah, so basically, I mean, he manages in real life the uh, the sports contracts and, and uh, advertisement opportunities for a, a very hyped uh, young football player from the University of Texas named Ricky Williams, um, who was apparently so good that he compelled the entire the New Orleans Saints to give up every one of their uh, draft picks in the single draft recently to uh, acquire him. So um, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the rub there. So he's got a real life job as a manager while he's one of the most influential hip hop stars from a financial perspective on earth. And apparently, Bob, this one's your domain. He tried out with the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I guess. Oh, I, I don't even recall hearing about that. Although, I actually, I do. I, I do vaguely, I think, remember hearing that. I mean, the Hornets are kind of desperate. They've, they've lost a bunch of their main stars over the last four or five years. And this is why I've got you two on for, again, niche comments like this when US sports are required, which they are 95% of the time on these particular shows. Yes, yeah, so Master P, he is a famous rapper, so it says here. And his relationship with WCW is partly as a result of his bodyguard, Swole, who actually wants to become a pro wrestler. And it must be said, he does look the part. Uh, we've seen a lot of Master P this particular month uh, getting involved with his buddies, Conan and Rey Mysterio, fighting the good fight for rap music against Kurt Hennig et al., we will talk about that a bit later on. Needless to say, Master P is getting very well remunerated for his appearances. 200000 per appearance, it uh, tells me here. And Mr. Swole, 400000 a year. And bear in mind, he hasn't even got in the ring yet. Nice oh, work if you can get it. Well, on to something else. Uh, the Great American Trash. Yes, an event so bad that even Great American Bash in 1991 looked askance at it and said, Guys, really? We will break it down match by sorry match for you very shortly, dear listener, but um, not one for the scrapbook, let's say that. The main event, if you can call it that, ended in a disqualification, because of course it did, and not even the return of Sid could cheer me up. Well, not much anyway. 
We'll say a lot more about that coming up. But for now, Rory, and this is what I'm going to say when I quit the podcast, good luck finding the next guy. (laughs) (laughs) I did not feed him that line, everybody. Eric really thinks this, and you know what? He's bloody right as well. Anyway, yes, good luck finding the next guy. Uh, These are actually the words of one Bill Goldberg, Esquire. Uh, A negotiating impasse between him and World Championship Wrestling at the moment, with Goldberg even threatening the nuclear option of retiring from wrestling completely if he doesn't get the concessions he's after. Uh, He was interviewed on June the 2nd, and he said this, I hope retirement is not the case, but it becomes a reality. Without getting myself into trouble, it's a part of negotiating. He then says this about the streak. The direction that I was headed was one that had a lot of mystique associated with it. It could have been legendary. That chance comes only once in a lifetime, especially for me and the wrestling business. All I can say is good luck finding the next guy. Should be said that he's still on a very handy contract of $800,000 a year. But um, some people just aren't happy, are they? But let's face it, he's got a point here. Rory, I'm looking through the uh, 1991 Great American Bash results in my PWI Almanac here. And (laughs) yeah, that tells you everything you need to know about how the 99 Bash went. Anyway, yo, 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 Conan is going to speak on this. We might have to do a match-by-match comparison when we get there. Yes, Conan is going to speak on this. Uh, Conan spoke to uh, USA Today about the current state of WCW and a lot of very interesting comments from him. (laughs) There's a first time for everything. You have a lot of wrestlers who wield a lot of power. If you don't conform or be part of their clique, if you're not drinking or training with them, you get cut out. Whoever can he mean? That's just bad business, he continues. He says that WCW is getting stale and that fresh faces are being held back. He said there was a time where Bischoff was tolerable. I think they call that damning with faint praise. But Bischoff changed because his condescending approach was not getting results. Now he's trying to rectify it. He then confirmed, I hate the politics and the hypocrisy. I want to wrestle and have fun, he says, while still under contract to World Championship Wrestling. Is Dick Flair finally going to get his? Oh, I kind of hope so. Uh, yes, uh, Shane Douglas, everybody, is bragging, because Shane Douglas, that he has seven-figure offers from both major companies. Neither of those things are true, but Shane Douglas. Uh, as far as we know at the moment, the WWF did offer him about $225,000 a year for three years, but um, they pulled it because Shane Douglas. WCW had an offer on the table for around three years at $300,000 a year with possibly an option for a fourth year. He has not signed yet, but it's looking extremely likely. A talk at the moment that they're going to form a Team Extreme with Douglas, Hack, and Public Enemy. However, he will not be reforming the triple threat with Benoit and Malenko. Ric Flair was asked about, uh, <laughs> of course he was, Ric Flair was asked about Douglas' impending arrival, and apparently he doesn't have a problem with it as long as he doesn't have to work with him. <laughs> uh, something a little more uh, scary here there was a Raven health scare. Raven's been off. TV anyway. Well, he's been having some rotator cuff surgery, and he had some further cosmetic surgery done on his chest and his stomach, which led to some complications, meaning some five pints of blood leaked into his body after some internal cuts. Uh, Doctors quickly gave him several blood transfusions, and they told him he was within hours of dying if he hadn't admitted himself into the hospital when he did. Uh, Some friends of his feared the worst when he wasn't returning calls on the Wednesday or the Thursday of that particular week. But now I'm pleased to say all does indeed seem to be well with Mr. Levy. I shall just give you the ratings for the month because I'm duty bound to do it to WCW fan listeners. On the 31st of May, it was a 6.3 against the 3.3. You know which company comes first in all of these. 
June the 6th, a 6.7 to a 3.2. And pretty much the same on the 14th, a 6.7 against the 3.3. That's coming out of the pay-per-view, of course, remember. A 6 to a 3.1 on the 21st. And finishing up the month, a 6.8 to a 3.6. The one week they avoided being doubled completely. Progress, progress. Another open, another limo on the 7th of June 1999. Savage has brought the gals with him, plus a bucket of something. He is the master of kid games. Hack versus the Prince is our opener here in Cleveland. The commentary team's indignant at Hack's smoking looks somewhat glib after the merciless beating the interfering Brian Nobbs receives. Morris and Kidman were in there as well. And Hack won the match, by the way. After revealing the identity of the higher power, Bischoff hangs around on commentary to bring up VM's $110 million lawsuit. He means Sables rather than any other one, but still, that's a bit too soon in my opinion. Scotty Riggs beats Lenny Lane with a brand new move. You might remember it from such tag team specialists as Marty Giannetti and Billy Gunn. Flair doesn't know why he and Benoit are butting heads and will be happy to pass the torch to him one day. Benoit reluctantly exceeds, and for now they will team up to go after the tag team titles. Chris, it's gonna be glorious. Savage and Sewage Bucket, for that is what it is, make their way to the ring. He has checked every crevice and cleavage, and Nash is nowhere to be found. The contents of the bucket are fully fermented. He is ready to dump it over the head of anybody stupid enough to challenge him. And here's Sting. After auditioning for the role of Frank and Furter, he wants a match with Macho tonight. Macho Madness, though, is on Viagra. After a replay of last week's major talking point, well, we discussed it anyway, here is the supposedly AWOL Kevin Nash with a travel bag. He can't smell savage if you smell what he's spewing. Uh, during this, a very loud fan tries to tell Kev he is nothing without Shawn Michaels and tries to get an HBK chant going. I'll play that in for you shortly. Macho is back and calls him a stupid Percy on. Nash though demands Savage put down the bucket and beg for a match tonight. And then the bag starts moving. Outbursts a young lady to pour the contents of the bucket over Randy's head. Bischoff laughs far too hard at all of this. Tag titles up for grabs now as DDP and Bam Bam defend the Flair and Benoit. The Crippler goes for the hot tag, but Rick just walks away. Ah, will anyone ever learn? Arn gets on the apron and wants a tag, but he is Saturn instead. He wipes through the heels and then pins DDP, and that is allowed. The tag titles have changed hands. Of course they have. Whilst I am still trying to work that out, Canyon helps us forget all about it by attacking the new champs. He is aligned with his fellow Jerseyans. La Parker and Silver King have a Mexican hardcore match for Damien and Cyclope. Why? Don't ask questions like that. La Parker smacks Damien through two chairs for the win. Cat hits Horace with a crowbar, that's the crowbar, for a win, with which the B team are fairly cool. I knew Gene would be bringing out Piper for an interview, even before he did. Piper, I am going to make him bleed to death. Blimey. I will turn Space Mountain into a fountain. And now he calls out Bagwell. He coaxes out a buff that the stuff has never appeared at MSG. <laughs> really? And at GAB, he will give him the ball. All credit to Buff to sneaking in that Cleveland reference from Spinal Tap 2, just like I did in SummerSlam 96. In a segment we will talk about shortly, Nash gets trapped in a limo and hit by a hammer. Ray vs. Duncan Jr. Conan and Hennig jaw on commentary until Kurt interferes for the obvious DQ. After a few minutes of sparkling wordplay from the Steiners, it's Disco v Buff, 
Rockbuster settles that one. We've barely any time left in the show for Savage Theme Sting. Macho's gals help out liberally during it, leading to the WCW debut of We Want Puppies. Ref gets attacked for the cheap DQ, then Macho pulls his ladies in front of Stinger Splash attempts. Steiner's attack, but here comes Luger with a bat. I brought my gear, it's in the bag. So Macho Man, everybody know, you know, Macho Man came out here and said he doesn't like to be made to look ridiculous. Get out, get out, let me check the one more. Get out. This is the world's champion. I knew you would, I knew you would. See, good stuff. I'll keep this, you get in. Let's go. That's all right. Trust us. Hey, driver, pop the trunk. Nairobi. Boy, that's an effect. Boom, open. That's good. You guys want to get in? Go ahead. Right behind him. Big guy first. Make sure you're up for this. Yeah. Can you handle three? Yeah. Thank you. Just get move over. I'll get ready. Not a bad night. All right. Later on, sucker. You like being a sport ass? So, Bob, we were on the show last month where we were talking about WCW choosing to build a first-time-ever match between Randy Savage and Kevin Nash, with Nash basically pouring sewage into Savage's car. So, of course, Macho got even the only way he can by getting his girls to goad Nash into climbing into a limo. Nash would really be that stupid, wouldn't he? The door was closed on him and somebody, we still don't know who, drove a Hummer repeatedly into Kevin Nash's car over and over again. With the intention, I think it's probably fair to say, of fucking him up, if not killing him. Now, let's let's not mince words here, although he was very nearly minced himself. So, Bob, two real things about this one. Number one, doing an angle so obviously violent just two weeks after the events in the Kemper Arena. And secondly, as we say in our WWF show this month, whodunit angles rarely work anyway. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I don't. I don't know if I have a an issue with the angle in regards to what happened at the Kemper Arena. That's just a tragic accident. You can't really change um, your storyline ideas and one on and handcuff yourself. It, it's a little, a little soon, in my opinion. But well, I do take your point. It could. I mean, I, I get both sides of it. Would I necessarily go to that extreme to carry on an angle? I don't know. I mean, if it's the if the WWF is doing it, I would probably be a little bit more concerned. But this is a company that's outside of that. It has nothing to really do with them. So I, I can understand it. Uh, the who done it aspect of it, you better have a really good surprise, or choose the right guy to make a star. This seems to be a, a pretty good idea to elevate somebody because let's be real. The main event scene right now 
in world championship wrestling is a group of 45 to 52 year old men and is considerably worse in ring wise compared to your opposition. Um, so you got to try to find a guy to get younger and maybe kind of build around them. And this could be an interesting way of doing that. My main problem with this, this happens a week before the pay-per-view mm-hmm. six days. And I believe that Nash had just embarrassed Savage like an hour and a half prior, maybe even sooner, in the ring, right? Am I correct on that? Yep, that's right. When he managed to wangle a girl in a bag who crawled out of said bag and poured sewage on Randy Savage, like you do. Right, exactly. I mean, that's (laughs) that's how everybody gets revenge on people these days. Um, This would have been really good, a really good idea if they had done this maybe the night after Slamboree or just further out because they do this. Hey, and I'm thinking Nash is dead. I mean, he dramatically like punches out the window. So, you know, he's, I guess alive, but he's probably seriously messed up. Like he's probably not going to be getting up for a little while. And then maybe 45 minutes go by and Tony Shivani's just like, folks got an update. Kevin Nash has got some bruised ribs, but he's okay. Way to just kill the heat for <laughs> exactly. this monumental thing. Like oh, no. this is explosive angle. Maybe in terms of like of angle driven of of anything. This is probably the most substantial thing since Brett had the the metal vest underneath yes. his chest. Like I'm literally watching Nitro and thinking, holy hell! Like is this guy going to make the pay per view? And three segments later, Shivani's just casually, oh yeah. I mean, like that that probably hurt, but I'm getting reports that Nash is a little banged up. His like ribs are kind of maybe hurting a little bit, but he is definitely okay. What, I mean, draw some suspense, but tell us like, is Nash going to be at the pay-per-view? Because maybe people will be inclined to be like, is this guy even going to be here? Or is somebody else going to have to wrestle? Like who knows? And you just completely, for me, it's a baffling decision and completely took me out of the whole potential angle they were going for. Because they just, they, they have no pacing apparently for angles. And I was greatly disappointed that it took them 45 minutes to kill it off for me. Eric, chime in. Don't be shy. Uh, I agree with everything Mr. Calling the Wise uh, just put forth. Um, and I, I specifically want to comment that I, I also agree that the violence part of it is not an issue for me. I think it's... Uh, they're too different. And this one's you know so obviously an angle. Um, and it was played off as an angle. And then the way that they handled it, I mean, I don't think, I think it completely negated any sort of potential long-term impact that this potentially violent uh, scene could have had, because like Bob said, they killed it within, within an hour or less. Um, the, and I, I agree with everything that he said about, you need to have a, a, you need to have the angle planned ahead of time. You need to know where you're going before you book it, or else if you're trying to find out who done it and WCW is actually trying to find out who done it while they're booking the angle, you know, it's just going to suck. So it's got to be someone like a hall who I know is out of commission right now. But if someone like a Scott hall or somebody from Nash's past were to come in or, or to be somebody impactful or a young guy, they're trying to get over, but it can't just be, um, it can't just be forgotten about or, or, or brushed aside as this thing moves forward, or it can't just be booked at the last minute. So, you know, uh, hopefully WCW kind of knows where it's going with this big angle, but I don't think it's going to matter because like Bob said, why would I care who hit Nash with a Hummer if he was fine in 45 minutes? So maybe this isn't a whodunit angle. Maybe this is just a, 
oh, by the way, it was Scott Norton driving the thing, and the NWO was trying to get one over on Nash or working with Savage, whatever. It doesn't matter. I think the biggest issue that this this storyline represents, though, is that they're apparently uh, trying to get Nash over as the top babyface in the company for some reason. Maybe it's because Kevin Nash is booking the top of the card. Yeah, I was going to say, the, the, the word they is doing some very heavy lifting. Yeah. It, it's, 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 not the, it's not the royal they, it's the Kevin Nash they. Um, the, the problem is he obviously has no idea how to book a babyface to become a, a liked top of the card babyface. All you have to do is look at what Hogan and and then more recently Austin have done in terms of sell, 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 sell in the lead up to the blow off Hogan sold to everybody. Hogan sold to quake. He sold to Sid. He sold to mm-hmm. Mr. Perfect and the genius for crying out loud. But yes. then at the show Hogan goes over and, yes. and that's fine. That's a good formula. Austin, the same way the corporation McMahon Patterson and Briscoe get, get over on Austin as often as Austin gets over on them on, on TV uh, at least while the cameras are rolling. But then at the pay-per-view, Austin, more times than not, goes over. And that's how you book a successful babyface. You get a little heat on them, and then they can they can come back with fire. Here, Nash is just overcoming the odds at every, at every little turn of the storyline. And so there's no point where the audience can feel any sympathy for him, any lasting sympathy for him, any, oh, I hope Nash is okay, or maybe you keep him off TV for three, four, five weeks, like Bob said. But here they kill it within 45 minutes, and then Nash just comes out and makes dick jokes. Like the next week after the pay-per-view having a horrible match on the pay-per-view where he didn't sell shit from this horrible collision. So I just think that trying to make Nash your top baby face in general is a bad idea. And that the way they're doing it represents a complete misunderstanding of how, if they were to have a chance of getting Nash over, they should do it. We will, sad to say, talk about Nash as a baby face again a bit later. He wouldn't want it any other way, would he? So hold those particular thoughts. Just to come back on the excellent points you're both making there very briefly. Uh, Number one, for me, it was too much too soon. Almost especially because it was effectively made light of. And it was made light of for two reasons. Number one, it was far too extreme a response to just having sewage poured on you. Now, that has never happened to me. Well... (laughs) It will be when people realize I present podcasts on things like the Great America Bash 1999. But at least up until recording time, I've never had sewage poured on me. If horror of horrors, it does one happen, does actually happen to me, I'm not going to retort by trying to hit that person with a Hummer or any other kind of vehicle, especially as I only have a push bike at this particular point in time. And number two, as you've rightly said, 40 minutes later, Kevin Nash was effectively right as rain. If you are going to do this, close Nitro with it. You can even even have Tony going, oh, the amount of times Nitro closes with a four-minute main event and Tony hollering, oh, no, we're out of time. This, as the go-home for the pay-per-view, was a chance to really, if you want to put it on a cliffhanger and you want to try and squeeze a few more dollars out of people who might be on the fence about this show, i.e. 98% of the viewing wrestling populace, then at least try to get them on side by having a real cliffhanger you don't even need to worry about the who done it element at this point and i'm sure they're going to end up screwing it up but at least is kevin nash our hero babyface champion will he be able to make it to the pay-per-view the next week and 40 minutes later oh it's just a flesh wound takes you out of the moment completely so it was unnecessarily in every strain of that particular word violent Rory, don't you think if they had if they had done it i mean this is just wcw booking itself into a corner but don't you think that 
if they had done it that way, that that would have been more criticizing. They would have gotten more criticism for booking like a real life heat. Someone might be seriously yeah. injured angle two weeks after the Owen thing. Oh like, yeah, true. And, and yeah, well, that's a very fair point. I suppose so in I this think, situation, I like Bob. Really yeah, I like Bob's point. Do it, you know, have a little bit of foresight. Neither do it the night after the pay per view to set up the next thing, mm-hmm. or or do it, you know, six weeks ago. Don't do it. Don't do it six days before the show because then there's no good way to do it. No, I mean, if you really want my honest view, there is no good way to do it. I'm pretty old fashioned in that respect. You don't need outlandish stunts to build a pay-per-view, really. But uh, here we are in mid-99. We very much are where we are and we almost have come to expect it. It's just a case of whether on that particular curve, it's good or not. But this was a bad example of something done badly. Speaking of which, it's speaking of which, it's now time to review the Great American Bash 1999. And I could not have picked two better guys to be on this particular show. Bob, if you can put down the flag just for a few seconds to take us through the results of this uh, patriotic fervor presented towards us at uh, Baltimore, Maryland, this particular year. I uh, I was about to read this like I was DJ Ran, but then I realized <laughs> that people would probably tune out just like they tune out on Nitro whenever he. Uh, dives, so I won't do that. Uh, Great American Great American Bash, nineteen ninety nine. Pack defeated Brian Knobs. Van Hammer defeated Mikey Whipwreck. Buff Bagwell defeated Disco Inferno. The No Limit Soldiers, which would be Conan and Rey Mysterio Jr defeated the West Texas Rednecks, consisting of Kurt Henning and Bobby Duncan Jr. Ernest the Cat Miller defeated Horace Hogan. Rick Flair defeated Roddy Piper by disqualification and thus remains the WCW president. WCW television champion Rick Steiner defeated Sting in a non-title Falls Count Anywhere match. The Jersey Triad, which consisted of Diamond Dallas Page and Chris Canyon, defeated WCW World Tag Team Champions Chris Benoit and Perry Saturn. And in your main event, WCW World Heavyweight Champion Kevin Nash defeated Randy Macho Man Savage by disqualification. Uh, okay, then, Eric, here it comes, that question. Normally so innocuous, but um, it's laced with barbs this time. Eric, what did you think of this pay-per-view? Yeah, yeah. My positive thoughts about this pay-per-view are that it was advertised as a wrestling show on pay-per-view, and it was, in fact, a show on pay-per-view which featured uh, something nearly resembling wrestling most of the time uh, with predetermined uh, uh, arcs that mostly represented storylines most of the time, and it ended at the time that it was advertised to end after beginning at the time it was advertised to begin. So um, in all those respects, it was a good show. (laughs) Good luck finding the next guy indeed. Come on, Bob, try and stitch it together. Well, I paid $29.99 for this (laughs) godforsaken show. And I've been trying to call my cable company to get my money back. But they aren't letting me do it. They actually laughed at me saying, you actually bought that? And then they hung up on me. So... I, I don't even know what, I don't know what to say because going into it, I didn't even know really what was on the show aside from like one or two matches. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, they gave us about a four minute highlight video to tell me exactly what the hell I was watching. So I did appreciate that. But yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a fun couple hours of uh, just venting about what we had to watch for almost three hours. Yeah, well, and um, you know they don't really do the main event before uh, shows anymore like they used to. 
But instead, what they did was they dedicated the first hour of this show to be what would have been on main event when they used to do main event before the pay-per-view. Right. So you, really got, you really got two shows for the price of one. There you go. <laughs> that, that was nice of them. Okay, my thoughts will develop as we go over the next 90 minutes or so. But just to say for now, dear listener, and I know it's a different company, but it sums it up quite well. If this show were a version of America the Beautiful, it would be Rocket Robbins at WrestleMania 5. <laughs> That's cool. America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood. In we go. Great American Bash 1999 from, of course, Baltimore, Maryland. Cold open, literally, as Hennig meets Master Pete and crew coming out of their limo. He yucks it up for a bit and gets offered a signed CD, which inevitably ends up in a million pieces on the floor. We then get video packages for most of the people we will see on the show, as Bob has mentioned. I am not the one who is running a once great company into the ground, so I appreciate it might not be my place to say this, but shouldn't you do that before you've taken everyone's money? I don't know. Especially when Brian Nobbs is up against Hack in a kendo stick match. <laughs> Brian will beat him up today as a birthday present for Mrs. Nasty. Well, it beats buying near-dead flowers from the side of the road, I guess. And then he offers to ditch the weapons completely, so let's duke it out. And we open up with Nobbs using the trash can. Here's Tony on commentary. We've had our first swerve of the night, he says, spoken with the confidence of a man who knows it won't be the last. <laughs> Pit stop in the corner and some normal weapon-based stuff. Hack kicks a chair back into... Brian nobs his face. He uses the bin too, and now finds a ladder and throws it right out to the nasty one. Rope persisted leg drop onto the ladder onto Nobs. He then sandwiches Nobs' legs between the ladder and goes to town with the chair again. There's a pattern emerging here. Nobs just gets up and throws Hack into the propped ladder. A few more ladder shots and the novelty, such as it was, has worn off now. Leverage move into the ladder, then he sets BK onto it. He misses a somersault and hits the ladder instead. Jimmy Hart is on the apron with a chair, and Nobbs himself ends up eating it. Not literally, but I feel I need to make that point. So a kendo stick to the head concludes this particular epicurist delight. Hack takes a beating from them and Hugh Morris afterwards. Okay then, Bob. Let rip. <laughs> I feel like it's really hard to make me not lose interest in a hardcore match. Cause I'm a sucker for that stuff. I'm a sucker for any like any kind of stipulation. I'm probably gonna, I'll be invested into it. These guys, they just aimlessly hit each other over the head with a trash can or a chair or whatever. At least with the other matches that involved a hack, you know, he was, you know, like for instance, uncensored '99, uh, just a few months ago. Like that was a, tr a trash three-way match, but it was, you know, I could enjoy that. I was laughing. The idea, though, of, of Brian Nobbs getting a any kind of singles match in any capacity just blows my mind. And this seems like a match where it should liven up the crowd. You're doing stupid crap. Get some tables. Get some ladders, which I believe they do. They just don't really use them for anything. Um, and I just I tuned out within two minutes in a five minute match. I just I did not really care. Hack just seems like a guy. Oddly enough, Hack seems like a guy who WCW fans, which I am one of those, unfortunately, could actually like get behind. 
because there might be a loose little association with with what Steve Austin's doing on WWF television. He's drinking beers. Hack is drinking, you know, smoking cigarettes and then blowing it into people's faces because that's hip and cool. <laughs> um, I just I didn't really like this. I didn't like the the attack afterwards by the first family. Um, you know, if you're gonna start the show off with Hack getting a win, don't just immediately kill his heat by having him get attacked by the first family. I'm glad that Hack actually won because, like I said, I think he could b- build some momentum, especially in this like division, I guess if you want to call it. Um, but there was just not one singular moment that made me like, oh, hey, that was fun, or I will remember this match. This was just aimlessly wrestling with objects for five or six minutes and i just i did not really care about it at all bonus points though for calling him the sandman during this a hack excuse me hardcore hack (laughs) damn it it's uh it's funny though he's changed his name yet chastity gets to keep hers and they have to talk about sandman's past without mentioning it it's it's fairly amusing really much like this match in many roundabout ways eric uh props to bob for calling this wrestling um that's well like you said it was in a ring and there was ropes and yeah predetermined wrestling it's almost wrestling um uh so uh this show uh has um i'm not going to talk a lot about the match um because there's nothing to talk about but uh one thing that i gleaned from this show was that i owe our former uh steward bob bamber um an apology um and i forget who was on the world war three Uh, 1996 show but i need to apologize to that person as well because we were somewhat critical of the opening match of that show which was the ultimo dragon versus ray mysterio for the j crown championship Uh, i still don't Um, that one up but okay (laughs) and um boy what i wouldn't give to have that match be in place of this match now as the as the opener so i think wcw has completely reverted to having nothing nothing matches as as their openers, which is too bad because WCW, if anything, since 93, 94, when, when they started letting Pillman and Merrow kind of just wrestle on, on cards to fill it out, whenever that was, uh, those matches were, were, were long and sometimes boring, but they were at least somewhat resembling a, of entertainment. Um, and so, yeah, I just would like to apologize to the listeners and to uh, Bob Amber and to whoever else was on that show um for my negativity towards that match because i hadn't yet seen this match and if i had i would have been far more flowery about the the mysterio dragon match yeah i should just say it was wayne lithgow was the other guest on that particular show and wayne likes and wayne likes cruisers i think so he must have been just flabbergasted by my criticism i remember listening back to that one open mouth and little did we know that two and a half years later we would come, we would do a full 360, as Gorilla yeah. would say, and you actually mm-hmm. really do want those days back. I should say about Wayne, who hasn't been on one of these shows for a while, he is the, the doyen of terrible WCW pay-per-views, having been there through pretty much all of 1995. So if you like what you hear, Wayne, by all means, uh, do come back. Oh, so I'm just replacing Wayne then. <laughs> no one's nice. replaced Wayne. Yeah, it's irreplaceable, and Wayne, we know you're listening. Get in touch, son. So yes, um, yeah, this was... This was a. No, I nearly, I nearly did it. Bob, see, it's rubbing off again. I nearly said wrestling and links to this, link to this match. What is happening to me? This is unlike many things on this particular show, though. It's almost not worth hating. It, <laughs> if it's possible to have a pick from this particular pay per view, this might even be it because it was just, 
a five-minute hardcore match. That's all it was. That's all it purported to be. And yes, you can ask questions. Well, if you're not really going to pay too much heed or seriousness to it, why is it opening the show? And a very fair question. Somebody way above my pay grade will need to answer that one for you. But for what it was, it was all right. Just my real problem is Brian Nobbs is still here. And he's still doing the same stick he was doing a decade ago. I'm still plain nasty. There was a reason for, for that, mate. You know, we know, we all know why you're there and what pole you've greased your way up. You know, it's plain to see. Uh, it's as plain as your gut, my friend. But hey, you're, you're still being paid for it and you're clearly investing that money wisely. So I suppose good luck to you. But there's nothing to report on here. But I will take that over some of the disasters coming our particular way. We cut to the back. Bagwell has got Piper's back tonight and Hot Rod is happy to hear it. Well, at least it is until Buff walks away. So coming up next on main events, we have Mikey Whitbread <laughs> versus Van Hammer. And Bob, no joke, my notes here start with twenty nine ninety five. Bob. <laughs> See? I'm telling no you. Joke. No joke. <sighs> Hammer with some shoves and already we, we managed to get some stalling in. Mikey with an arm drag. That'll eat up a few more seconds. As for him then, just taking a backbreaker. Uh, Mike Tanay doesn't care about this and asks who drove the Hummer. Clubs and kicks and stomps and you know the drill. Mikey gets very awkwardly beeled off the top right by Hammer, who is barely holding him. The crowd can't even be bothered to keep a boring chant going for long in this one either. Superplex, leg drop, two counts. Abdominal stretch, which I've actually written as abominable, but there you go. Abdominal stretch as I check through the three internet for a month CD-ROMs that have come through my door. Hey, CompuServe. It's got compute in it, so that's got to be good, right? Oh, Mikey's out of the abdominal stretch. I better get back to it. He kicks away but just ends up in the buckles. We totter outside and then Whitbreak eats the safety rail. Leverage move buys him a moment or two and then goes in, then out with a somersault. Test press off the top for two. Another attempt sees him get caught. Cobra cuts... Cobra clutch slam by Hammer. And there you have it, Eric. That's that's a match. And yeah. Um, in a match or on a show that shows uh, Kevin Nash, um, spoiler alert, ultimately uh, retaining as world heavyweight champion. It's weird that there's another guy who's been given more chances for no particular reason other than he's big and tall and looks good and has a nice physique than Van Hammer. I mean, how many times have we been around this fucking Mayberry pole with this guy? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, starting to be positive here. Um, positive. So I read in the sheets that you sent over, uh, Rory, that um, that DDP is uh, largely responsible for this Van Hammer push. That so apparently correct. DDP has some sway backstage, no surprise. Um, and so DDP right now is, in my opinion, uh, not really working as a heel. Uh, because he's trying to be a character heel and not an actual heel. Um, the way to turn DDP heel is to just tell everybody in the audience that he's responsible for Van Hammer being on pay-per-view, and you'd have a monster heel. So there's some positivity for WCW. Give that a try. New heel to feed to Nash, DDP. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know what they're trying to accomplish here. Um, I'm a regular watcher of Nitro thunder and even saturday night and prior to van hammer returning last month on nitro i couldn't even remember what he had done the previous four months let alone the previous four years 
I have no idea what he's been doing to even he's justify doing... this. Steroids is the answer to that question. Yeah, or I'm thinking he might have been saving up his money to actually buy ring gear and not just wrestle in like bu- like buckle jeans or whatever. Like he actually kind of trying to look like a wrestler. Unfortunately, he doesn't have any actually wrestling skills, so kind of renders him useless. This, a lot about this goes like nine minutes. A Van Hammer match on pay per view goes nine minutes. This has to be arguably the longest Van Hammer match ever. And throughout the entire time, I felt awful for Mikey Whipwreck. This is a guy, and I and I've I think I've noted this before. Mikey Whipwreck is a is a solid in ring wrestler, like pretty good. And he bumps around fairly well for Hammer. But he's he's done. M- Mikey Whipwreck is clearly just an enhancement guy to be fed to various wrestlers. I feel so I'm gonna switch the focus from Van Hammer to Mr. Mikey Whipwreck. Because Van Hammer's just useless. Van Hammer is the type of guy that will walk up ring steps just to drop a guy over a guard railing instead of throwing him into the crowd like a normal person. But that's okay. Mikey Whipwreck, in my opinion, could be an excellent cruiserweight competitor, probably even a champion. He had a really good match with Kidman. He could have excellent matches with probably Psychosis, Juventud Guerrera, Chavo Guerrero Jr., La Parca. Although, I mean, Parca's not really a cruiserweight. He's probably just an oversized roadblock or something in a mask at this point. But Whipwreck, I guess, must really enjoy a decent check just to get no momentum whatsoever in WCW. I am 100,000% against any Van Hammer push. And just like what Eric said, that if DDP is the guy that's responsible for this, have him go, have Van Hammer join the Jersey triad. And then DDP just be like, you see this hammer guy? He's my doing. And the crowd's going to be like, oh boy, man, fuck you. They'll be throwing trash. Like it was NWO heyday. Okay. Uh, just useless. I, I this show is just it, like if this was a main event as we have uh, been talking about, I would I would just skip it. I would wait till eight o'clock or whatever for the show to start. I don't need to see this crap. And yet here I am talking about it. it is Mikey needs to just break his contract, take some steroids or something, and say I didn't realize that oh it God. wasn't Flintstone vitamins, and go back to ECW or. Or, so, or somewhere. I don't know. But I'm hoping that Van Hammer isn't on pay-per-view next month or even on TV the following night. But obviously, uh, in terms of television, that would not be accurate. But uh, Van Hammer is maybe my least favorite wrestler ever doing this with you guys. It's horrible. It, it, the, the ECW guys are in a really bad spot, though, because... Like, I don't think there's any way any of us can criticize anybody from that company with what we know about their financial situation for taking any sort of guaranteed money, even if it's potentially less, even if it's less than their potential earning power in ECW. Don't know that you're going to get a check in the mail every week, every two weeks, every month. Maybe you have 
healthcare opportunity. I'm not sure how Turner does it with with its with its performers or not, but I think it's just you're putting these guys in a really bad spot because WCW is willing to sign you, and they're going to give you guaranteed money, and you're going to work a safer style, and you're going to work, you know, safer rings, and with probably by and large safer workers other than Van Hammer. This is a really bad example to be using for that, but by and large, like I would. I don't blame these guys for for coming to WCW in waves for for all those better opportunities. It's just so it's obvious that WCW has no idea what to do with these guys, which comes as no surprise when we started talking about this three years ago when WCW started poaching all these guys. I, I, I you're absolutely right. I mean, you have you have to look at from like let's say you know hacks. I almost said it again. Hacks mindset here, where if he's getting something FedEx to him a contract that says two hundred grand. He's probably looking at that saying, well, Heyman's paying me about 125 and I'm freaking going through barbed wire and whatnot. I can probably take gimmicked trash can shots to my head for a year or two and make six figures. Same thing. With, I don't know. Whipwork would be making the same amount of money. I would probably do the same thing. And even this exposure, if you were to get fired, if you go back onto the independence, you're probably going to get a higher rate. But as a fan, it's like I feel I feel really bad. For Mikey Whipwreck, because even in this match with Hammer, he is bumping very well for the guy. He has a couple moments of shine, and I just wish that he was in there with guys that were his style, and not like Van Hammer or Scotty freaking Riggs. Like, what? Why? What are we doing with Mikey Whipwreck to to not, you know, use him at a higher higher peak potential where he should be? It's just it's just baffling to me. If, if Kevin Nash is in a room and he's thinking. Oh, I got Mikey Whipwreck. He's one of the good in-ring guys with uh, ECW. All right. Uh, all right. Nine minutes. Van Hammer pay-per-view. Book it. Uh, no, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, do they really need to be wasting another six-figure sum on another jobber? I mean, just look at right. their roster. I, I remember I, I did this count a couple of months ago. I think on their active roster, they've got something like 125 wrestlers. If you look at everybody who's on there, they, they're bringing in people like Mikey to do jobs to Van Hammer. I say no disrespect to Mikey for taking the dollar, and I'm sure we would all do it. And if, if any you know troglodytes out there who still want to say that Mikey sold out, then well, sod off. Quite frankly, you know, you don't pretend you wouldn't take it. But it is frustrating as a fan seeing him brought in as pure job fodder. But hey, he's getting on pay per view every single month. Uh, that's three in a row now where he's jobbed to Kidman. Okay, fair enough. And Scotty Riggs, and now Van Hammer. And just before I move on on this one, because the match. His pants, it was his Mikey, is decent selling against one of the probably the most irredeemable wrestler in pro wrestling at the moment. I think <laughs> that might actually be, we might even be talking about him a little bit later on, somebody who might even be whisper it purely worse in the ring than Van Hammer, but he has got the intangibles. Van Hammer has got nothing whatsoever, whether he's a heavy metal guitarist who can't actually play, whether he's a member of the flock who doesn't do the mad thing at all, whether he's a peace-loving hippie 30 years after the fact, or he is shock horror Van Hammer, the wrestler. And well done, Bob, as well. You mentioned Sandman in the first match, and here, in this particular match, you mentioned the S-word steroids in connection to Mikey. So well played. <laughs> Let's get on to match three. Disco Inferno versus Buff Bagwell. This one could be competent. They share pose-offs on the buckles with Bagwell easily getting the better of that in the eyes and mouths of the crowd. Buff milks their cheers and gets the second knockdown and a nice swinging neckbreaker. This after Disco milked their cheers and got the first knockdown and a nice swinging neckbreaker. 
We get the buff dance thing. Yeah. Early Slugfest is won by BB, and he takes the action into the corner. He teases the blockbuster, but Disco quickly backs off on that one. Buff flips the bird, because that's what cool baby faces do these days, right? But then walks into a stun gun and a big clothesline. Inverted atomic drop and Bagwell spills outside the ring. Uh, just laughing because I'm getting to my next line here, which I've forgotten about, I must say. Tony says congratulations to all high school graduates. Yeah, because they're watching this tonight. <laughs> Back in Inferno with a double off, uh, double axe handle off the top for two. Hard slam and he goes up again, but this time he misses. Backdrop by Bagwell and here be 10 punches. Inferno is down, but he falls into the ropes to stop the blockbuster again. Outside, he hits the last dance. I missed that name change, I must say, the former the former chart buster, and then waits for the count-out win. Buff is there, though, at eight. He then preps him for the Macarena pile driver. I missed that one, too, but Bagwell is out. And a flurry of punches, drop kick, and a very lazy power slam. He didn't follow Inferno down. And then Disco sort of just walks into a rather sloppy version of the blockbuster to end this one. Uh, I think Bob Competent might have been a stretch, actually. Oh boy. So this whole situation between Buff and Disco, I, I think Disco was like, oh, you know, Buff wants to be a main event. Well, I want to be the main event and I'm going to beat you to be in the main event. If these two guys based off this match are in going to be, are going to be in the main event, God help us all. We might as well just stick to your Hogan, your Flair, your Nash, your Savage. Let's just stay with that. The context of this though, to me as well, I have no reason to care about this. There is, I don't even, there really isn't any kind of angle. I feel like between these two and your match here is two guys. Like I said, that want to be in the main event and they're going on third. You're going, you're going on third. This is like, let's say we were all in, you know, single a baseball and we're all hitters and we're like, Hey man, I want to be in a major league baseball player. Well, I'm betting seventh in single a, Rory, you're betting eighth, and Eric, you're betting ninth. Hopefully, I'm a, good, hopefully I'm a good pitcher on a National League affiliate. <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm like a, and I and I get a hit, and then I and I brag to you guys, you guys got out. Like what? Is, what have we accomplished? Buff Bagwell wins the third match on a pay per view in a throwaway angle. Like it doesn't, this doesn't elevate anybody. Disco Inferno is a comedy guy. That is 100 what he is. Bagwell at one point, I, I can't recall if it's on this one or on television, but he's like, Oh, I might have got kicked out of the NWO, but at least I was in it to do like now we're going like now we're doing those type of insults about a group that doesn't even really exist anymore. And let's face it, everyone was in the NWO. Right. I'm sure Van Hammer was in the NWO at some point. Like, who knows? He might have got he might have been playing Kurt Henning for a little bit there. I mean, who knows? Um I wanted to think this was going to be good. And if it were to have been good, it could have given us, you know, excitement for potentially these two guys in a, in a bigger match. But, and I want to, and I, I want to point out too, uh, right here that the following night on nitro disco loses the freaking van hammer. And this is a guy who's like, I want to be in the main event. And they job him out to van hammer the next night on nitro. Yeah. Thanks for that guys. Uh, Disco's probably as soon as he saw that on the sheet, he was like, "Well, there goes my credibility because I just lost a freaking Van Hammer, and then I lost the Buff Bagwell." Holy God! I mean, the they, they the match is not good. It is not good. If this was maybe you know Bischoff and them are looking at this saying, "This is your chance to show us that you can go," and boy, did they fail. 
because I wouldn't. It wasn't even a good mid card match. I wouldn't put these guys near the TV title right now. It was a sloppy. It's just it was the thrown together, thrown together to fill out the pay per view. It felt like, um, uh, it, this is worrisome to me for WCW that they really have nothing to even elevate into a bigger, a bigger spot than what they have. So that should throw their their depth is probably way out of whack. So be prepared, guys, for the next probably twelve years of more Hulk Hogan and all those guys because they got nothing lined up right now. Ah, joy of joys. What have we got, Eric? Well, with the exception of agreeing that this match wasn't very good, I almost completely disagree with everything Bob just said. For for this for these reasons, I guess it's obvious that they're whether you agree with it or not, and I do not. But it's obvious that they're trying to make something of a credible upper mid card main eventer out of Buff Bagwell. Okay, blows my mind. But it is what it is. You're not booking it. You can't control it. Change the channel. But if they're if the WCW, I sound like you know the WCW. But anyway, if WCW is going to make Bagwell a, a, a credible upper mid card guy, you have to give him clean wins on pay per view over people. Um, and you have to have him win television feuds started by people who instigate them. So in this case, you know, I don't think there's any issue with anybody on the roster saying, I want to be world champion. I want to be in the main event. Like, why the hell else are you here? I think that's booking one-on-one. And it's, the, I mean, it's a, it's an easy reason for two guys to have a feud. I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. Up until now, we've been about equal. Let's hash it out. Well, it turns out Buff was right. He's better than Disco because not only did he beat Disco, but then, like you said, Van Hammer beat Disco. So that clearly distinguishes Buff from Disco at least and moves Buff Buff up. You know, I don't think it hurts Disco at all, but it gives Buff a little bit of a of a perception that he's higher than Disco at least. And so you start to bump him up here and there. And then as the month unfolds, he gets a tag, a clean pinfall victory over Rick fucking Flair mm-hmm. in a tag match on Nitro. Like WCW can at least do the easy thing where you have a guy get clean wins on TV for months in order to elevate them. Look what they did for Luger when they were trying to build Luger back in 95, 96. He just came out and got wins, and it didn't matter against who, but he, he got wins. They did it with the Giant, too, when they got the Giant over. Just give guys wins on television. And so I think if you want to, if your end goal with Bagwell, to the extent that WCW has an end goal with any of this, if your end goal is to get Bagwell over as a star, you have to start somewhere. You can't just have him come out and beat Sting on pay-per-view. So give him a clean win against somebody that the crowd likes, against somebody that the crowd knows, and just keep building from there one brick at a time. WCW's hot-shotted so many things over the last couple of years. Maybe the slow build with Bagwell is actually gonna, could actually turn out to be something different and lasting. Everything, you're, everything you said, Eric, is makes sense. You know, like you, when he got the win... Um, the following night over flair, which I'll get into later um, to build them up just last month at slam Bree, He was, he got jobbed out to Scott Steiner and then you build, tra- yeah, but you got to build him back up then that's, and you can't have him, you yeah, know, but you, so he can't even, so he can't win the U S title. And then we're supposed, we're supposed to believe that, Oh, I can go for the world title though. You can't even get the second level championship. I mean, he's had matches with Rick Steiner on nitro for the, t- for the TV title and he couldn't beat him. So then we're supposed to think that because you beat disco, 
who we had just beaten on the Nitro before the pay-per-view six days ago. This is basically a Nitro rematch that it's justifiable in our heads that he's going to become a world champion. And I might as well just get into it right now about the flair thing because it is pertaining to Bagwell. I, I did some uh, research before getting into this whole chit-chat here uh, for, for this pay-per-view. How much value, realistically, does a win over Ric Flair in any context, how much weight does that really care? Does that carry? Now, I'm sure you guys are going to be like, Bob, what the hell are you talking about? It's June 1999, folks. After doing some research, I'm going to list off four matches in which Ric Flair actually won a match in a singles capacity, not tag team, nothing. June 1996 against Randy Savage in, in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling at the Summer Struggle. He won that one. August 96 on Saturday night against Dean Malenko. It's a good six, one. Si well, in 1996. <laughs> six. Remember that guy? Six Pac? At Road Wild, 97. And then his most recent victory over any kind of credible name. In that was WCW. the best match on Road Wild 97, too. It was. Two years ago was Chris Jericho on Thunder, the very first Thunder. And Chris Jericho, at that point, hadn't really even gotten much momentum as a heel. That's the last time Ric Flair had any notable win, clean wins, anything. So you look at the Nitro where Bagwell beat him. I'm expecting the crowd to go bonkers. But then they're like, you know what? Ric Flair's been kind of a comedy act for the last four months. So, like, is it really that big of, of a win? Now, if this happened in, let's say, 1988 or something like that, or even 94, you're probably going to get a huge reaction. But when you've been, when Ric Flair has been booked in such a horrible manner to maintain credibility, anybody getting a win over him, to me at least, means pretty much nothing, which is so shocking like to say because Flair is arguably one of the most accomplished wrestlers that WWE has. They're they're trying to make new stars, and like we've been so critical of WCW for relying on your Hogan's and your Hall and Nashes and your Stings and your Savages over the last few years, and like they're trying to do something different. Apparently, with with Bagwell, if you read the sheets, he's in for a big push. Like like him or not, and like I just don't understand how we can sit here and be critical of WCW at least trying to do something with somebody who's somewhat outside of that that inner circle. I mean. Hell, the guy's, you know, he is what he is, but, like, let's at least give them a chance to do something and not just say, oh, because he's Buff Bagwell, he should just be, you know, a jobber. Like, I just I just don't understand the vitriol towards this some, towards this thing that was, you know, booked pretty well overall, despite I, what, what you think of the guy who's who's behind the push. I, I think my point is, is that the people that WCW sees as stars are, in fact, not really stars. The, but that's not... Then, then, then change the channel, but you, but you can't criticize them for trying to do something different at this point. They fucking need to. I just think they're choosing the wrong people to put them over. Hi. I do. I think. I think if Bagwell were to have picked, if he would have pinned a DDP, that's a bigger win in the context of what they're trying to achieve. To me. That's what I just. That's what I think. I. I they're, they're stars. The, the guys who think they have a big name value 
again, this is all for my mindset. And the only reason why I watched any of this is to talk about it. Otherwise, I would have changed the channel for the record. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I don't I don't think they're picking the right people to elevate their new stars because they're booking. If you watch Nitro, every match ends in a DQ, so you're not really treading anywhere upwards. Everybody's on the same level for the most part. So I I can appreciate the attempt of Bagwell Inferno trying to get elevated up into the you know up into the thing here but the timing doesn't make any sense for me because bagwell just lost last month couldn't win the u.s title he hasn't been able to beat rick steiner you know what i mean like if he would have the... beat sting like rick steiner's the top guy according to wcw yeah, so... right but you're trying to get him to the sting level bagwell's not at the sting level but if he were to have beaten rick let's steiner get him, let's get him to booker TV... t level before we get into sting level well, that's my point, though. Like, Booker T should be a guy. I know he's injured, and he comes back later in the month. But if you put Booker T in this spot, I'm buying into it. Because But Booker this is T how they go. build Booker T, too. He, how many fucking wins did Booker T get over Disco Inferno? Like, when Booker T was a, was, a, was a green tag guy for, like, six years, like Bagwell, and he was this questionable worker with questionable Mike skills, and they kind of saw something in him, and they let him they let the reins off him a little bit. And they gave him wins over mid, low to mid card guys on television for months on end. And now he's a guy that we cite as somebody kind of like a DDP who was built the same way and had the same criticisms uh, as a guy that WCW is kind of homegrown and can kind of rely on moving forward. So I think, you know, rinse and repeat with Bagwell, who's another guy who's kind of a WCW guy like uh, like Booker. Uh, like DDP, a, a stalwart who's been around, who's been loyal to the company. The fans react to them, whether you think they're a good worker or not. You know, I, I think this formula has worked two times over in the last couple of years for WCW. Why not try it again with another guy similar, you know, similarly situated? I just, I don't know. I don't know if I see it with Bagwell. I mean, Booker, in ring, I'm a, I'm a big in ring guy. I've always, that's usually been my thing. If you, if you can't go in the ring for me, I'm, I can't get behind you. And, and for me, Bagwell is just a guy that right now, for what I've seen, I, I just, I can't get behind. And I have severe, severe doubts that Kevin Nash, who can't even book himself to be likable, can book Buff Bagwell to be a main event act or upper mid card. There's just, there's just no way. Hi. We told oh, you this was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I do remember with now great fondness. Uh, the days when I was told that it was my fault that these shows were so particularly long. This is a case of do as I say, not as I do. But a fine discussion, nevertheless, chaps. I'm very glad you found nearly 50 minutes to talk about Bob Bagwell getting a win over Disco Inferno. <laughs> oh, what am I doing with my life? I've nothing, I've, there's nothing me or anybody else can add to that particular one now. So why don't we move on to our next match in the pay-per-view? which is Ray and Conan against Hennig and Duncan. Our Bowdy Bowdy heroes come out wearing gas, mask, gas masks for this one. Say it fast five times. I'm sure Master P would be able to. He is here with the No Limit Soldiers, and they're in the front row for this match. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. And Hennig cheaply insults P, so the good guys are in with high-octane offense straight off the bat. Uh, Hennig has even brought along his by-the-ropes flip cell. You know the one. Assisted dropkick puts him outside, and then P slaps him. And we reset with K-Dog and Duncan. Float over Bulldog, then Ray is in with a head scissors, then a crossbody, but Duncan plunks, plucks him out of midair. Big power Bob offers an attitude adjustment, 
and then curtis in with some sort of throw knife edge chops and the heels take the reins hard whip to the corner and ray takes a beating as only he can he gets held into the barricade as p cheers his team on standing Dropkick by Kurt finds the mark and the bad guys take turns to work on Mysterio in the corner. Hennig then locks on a nonchalant cover that Ray switches into a roll-up for a close two. Ray then runs through the legs to scamper to Conan for the tag, but the ref didn't see it. Uh, he did. Oh, dear. Someone, is, <laughs> someone should be getting fired over that, but let's face it, do the front office care enough? I doubt it. So instead, Ray takes a Hennig vertical suplex. Ray with a desperation moonsault, but again, he gets caught. He does scrap out, though, and now we have the hot tag. Bronco Buster to Hennig as Conan goes to town on Duncan. Head scissors by Ray, and now Wyndham is down to ringside. He goes for the faces, but Swole from the soldiers makes himself available to stop it. Everyone gets distracted by that, including me, it must be said. And then we see Ray pinning Duncan for the win. It was with a slingshot leg drop, by the way. The heels then overcompensate somewhat by hogtying Ray and Conan after the soldiers are sent to the back. Eric, your thoughts on this match and how they've handled the No Limit Soldiers and Master Profits so far? Much shorter uh, thoughts on this one. I think I should this... hope so. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah no. this was um, this was a well-executed match for the first two thirds. I was entertained by this. There were three or three and a half good to above average workers, uh, which we couldn't say about the first three matches on this show um and you know anytime you get ray and 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 hennig in there i don't care who they're with there's going to be you know tight well executed action so that was good um and then the ending was a little bit of a mess and like you said the, i don't know whether it was the way that was executed or whether the masterpiece people didn't know where they were, were to stand or where the cameras were or what but it was a little bit jumbled but at the end of the day the right team wins but they keep the heat on them um uh, with the with the heels uh, kind of getting getting their heat back at the end, so yeah, I think this is fine. And the masterpiece thing has been a flop so far. I don't think there's been any positive reaction on any of the nitros uh, that he's appeared on, and they didn't really get much of any of a of a bump for this show. It seems like, but I don't know. This was booked fine, except for the that it was kind of overbooked. Um, but you know, this is another thing where. You know, WCW is just trying for a moonshot here. It hasn't worked out so far. It's probably not going to work. Uh, you kind of know when these things are going to work from the outset, like a Tyson or even like a Rodman uh, thing for WCW that was immediately newsworthy. And this kind of has flown under the radar still. Um, so I think this was booked well, but I don't think that this, uh, I think this is going to end up being a, a flop for WCW just based on the fact that it's not, it's not getting over and the storyline's kind of hokey. Yeah, apparently they're already looking to cut their not inconsiderable losses with Master P as soon as possible. But like we said at the news, they've got Swole under contract for another 11 months and another $400,000 business acumen all the way. Your thoughts on all of that, Bob? Let me tell you something about Buff Bagwell. Oh, sorry. (laughs) You'll get another chance shortly. (laughs) Let me regroup. Uh, No, this is a formula match um, compared to everything else match of the night so far. It is hokey. This whole no limit soldier thing is a joke. Let's let's just be real about it. The crowd, because there's an actual angle behind this, the crowd was actually responsive to what they were doing. So I actually liked that. Um, I'm really glad though to hear that they're going to cut bait with uh, Master P and the no limit soldiers. Because this whole feud has been so childish. I mean, one was like we started off like a CD or something, right? And you. You yes. broke it or a hat. Then there was a hat at a birthday party and then like cake or something. I'm like, 
Master P, if anybody on the streets is seeing this, I mean, you're losing a bunch of credibility, man. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Not that I know anything about the streets, but I can't imagine they're probably like, dude, you're going to let a guy break your CD on TV. Like, what are you doing? Um, Swole though. I don't even know. I don't, I don't know why $400,000. I mean, the guy does, he's not a trained wrestler, right? Correct. No, he's not. Oh my God. Maybe I should call Eric Bischoff and <laughs> work out for three months and then maybe get like two abs or something. Maybe I can get like a quarter, quarter mil or something. That'd be great. Brian, um, too, so you, you won't need to either. Yeah. Well, Nobs doesn't, for, for you Nobs know, doesn't even have two abs. For all you know, Bob, you could already be on the WC. <laughs> oh my god that would be fabulous and I'll get, I'll get fired for my comments about buff bagwell six minutes ago because they'll be like that's just not as respect for the individual there we gotta let you go that would turns be out you're also related to randy savage so you're on the, you're on the dole there yeah so that means i got a job for life then this is great yeah. this is terrific um no but anyway so the, the match like I said, Matt, pretty much the match of the night. Formula match. They really didn't mess anything up too much. The interference or involvement by the soldiers was not a shock at all. And, uh, of course, on you know television the, the next week, I think it was in Washington, they clearly make it obvious that this is going to continue into the next pay-per-view, which I want to point out, the, uh, <laughs> Master P in Washington, they go to DJ Rand's little booth there, and they're trying to hype up everybody going hootie who, which I don't know what the hell that is. Who, what the hell is a hootie who? And silence, stunned silence. People are just like, what is going on? Master P clearly is getting frustrated. He probably came into this thinking he's going to be a Tyson. He's even going to be a Dennis Robin. Fans are going to go nuts for the guy. I don't know if any WWE fans know who the hell Master P is. I don't even know if I could list songs that he has made and they've even told me like four of them and i couldn't even tell you what they were the no, press dude, conference the press dude, conference these guys had on nitro dude you're Comical. wrong about that he's just not your demo but he's a he's a freaking mega star it's just he's he's it's just it just emphasizes how much of a missed mark this is for wcw because oh, yeah. they're advertising to people like us and slightly younger than us and we couldn't give a shit about master p but he does have an audience it's just not this audience yeah, yeah, Eric, yeah, I was, I, I was going to bring you in on this one anyway, because Bob and I, we talked about this briefly last month when this angle started. The whole uh, I hate rap, rap is crap thing, and Master P and the No Limit Soldiers being the baby faces and all this. Uh, not with this target demographic. No, not at all. It's terrible. Not going to work. So, Positively more, terrible. Positively terrible. Any more, Bob, just briefly? Well, I mean, I... You're right that it's not my demographic, or I'm not part of that demographic, because I more enjoy like the soothing voice of Backstreet Boys and you know groups of that nature where they're like 14 and they're falling in love with girls that they meet at an airport or something. So that's my demographic. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> uh, of the many revelations today, Bob Collin is a, a Backstreet Boys fan. That is actually some way down the list, if I'm being completely honest. Bob Collin, Backstreet Boys fan blackmail opportunities i'm i'm gonna tell you right now i'm gonna go out on a limb and i think within over the next 30 years the backstreet boys are going to be the beatles <laughs> i'm going on a limb and i'm going to say uh, that they're going to be torn all over the place i'll be you know super old at that point and i'll still be watching them you're delirious after all the buff bagwell talk i tell you no, but that's the only I, explanation i am still my heart is still uh beating at a rapid rate 
about that Buff Bagwell discussion. I don't want to say argument because we're not hating each other on here. Oh no, but, it's all uh, good. It's all good natured, complete disagreement. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, uh, this particular match was okay. It was not bad, and as you've said, because there was at least some sort of angle behind it, as flawed as it was, as we discussed last month, it was at least something the crowd, if they wished to, could get involved in, and they did in as much as they could, and they kept things chugging along. Uh, you've got. Whatever you think of Hennig in the ring these days, he's he knows how to handle a match and work work these situations. Ray is excellent. Conan is fine when he's got people who can farm him through. And Duncan didn't have a whole lot to do here, but just hit some big stuff, which he is at least capable of. The finish was far too convoluted, but you know, this is WCW. To say we're used to that these days is a complete understatement. The No Limit Soldiers, I mean, they were given some rather basic cues in this one, i.e. interfere at the end. They didn't really get it right. Swole came in, I think, a bit too early for his particular one. And I think what was supposed to be a big beat down at the end, and the soldiers were just sort of ferried away, I think, again, a bit earlier than they needed to be. And I can see why it's taken too long to get there, why WCW have thought no, they've, they've made a bit of a mistake here. Yet another very expensive one. Now, if your fan base is mainly concentrated in the South, having Master P isn't just the rapper who is somebody with millions of pounds in the bank people are just going to see him as i'm going to use the term an outsider they're going to get behind the hard-working wrestler guy and if that hard-working wrestler guy happens to be a country music fan too regardless of the fact he's from the west texas rednecks and he's from minnesota then they are going to support him i grudgingly admire wcw for making the No Limit Soldiers, the baby faces in this particular thing. I think that's really quite progressive in 1999, to be honest with you. And they do deserve credit for it. But without wanting to go too deeply into this on a pro wrestling podcast, I think there are a few years too early for it, I'm afraid to say. Right, guys, you're going to be brief on this one. Otherwise, this really will be your last show. The Cats versus Scott Norton. <laughs> it's how it, was, um, how it was advertised, but Scott Norton was not able to attend. A high blood pressure, I think, was the reason given. But Horace was here to stand in. After some very cheap barbs, you couldn't even beat your old self, if you know what I mean. That ruins the joke. If you say, if you know what I mean, after the end of a double entendre joke, it ruins it. Trust me, I've done enough of them over the last four years and blown most of them, if you know what I mean. Cat agrees to fight him instead. So Horace does some terrible stuff. Cat does some nondescript stuff which I only pay attention to when I see he misses his kick by light years. And let's face it, he always does that. Sonny gets in some shots and then Horace gets sent to the barrier. Body slam on the inside, but an elbow for two. Miller is up and then works the throat. Splash by Horace, then gets distracted by Sonny, but still is able to chuck Ernest over the top. And then he affixes something to, he affixes something to Cat's foot and the kit. Oh my God. See, the power of the power of speech goes during this match. I could cut this, but I'm going to keep it in because that's what it's doing to me. Oh, let's try again. But then he affixes something to Cat's foot, and the kick, still showing air, ends this. And indeed, it ends me. Bob, far be it from me to set you up with a line from Bobby the Brain Heenan, because let's face it, as far as wit and panache is concerned, you are not very far behind the guy anyway. But when he said on commentary that, and I quote, all cats matches are brutal, the great man once again was not far wrong. This sucked a fat one, if you know what I mean. Hey! That's all we need, if you know what I mean. Eric? <laughs> I just... Is there anything? 
If you're going to put Ernest Miller, it's the same thing as the Bagwell match. If you're going to put Ernest Miller on pay-per-view against a jobber, at least make sure he gets a relatively clean win, and they did that here, and whatever. It's fine. The right guy won. Whatever, the right guy won. But it's very, very not fine. <laughs> okay, let's, let's press on. Oh, I've just seen. There you go. The next 15 minutes, Flair versus Piper for control with somebody interfering. Okay, here we go then. Piper is ready. Well, I'm glad somebody is. Stare down is won by Flair, but Piper is in with the crazy old man punches as soon as his ticker will allow. Jabs in the corner. And didn't I type all of this last month? Piper is Mr. Offense, says Tony, who I think missed off an if at the end. Bite to the nose and then a deathly slow backslide. I poke and punch and Flair is out of here for a while. He returns, foolishly, and takes some more punches. Flair begs off and we are really, really just circling the bowl already. Pure greatest hit stuff being churned out for the 10 millionth time in front of a lacklustre festival crowd right down to the diabolical low blow. He ties up the ref so Arn gets in some shots. You know he insisted on those. But another low blow by the nature boy. This is what you call reality checking boxes, I think. See what I did there, if you know what I mean? The usual exposure of the flare moon with a roll-up and the crowd react like they've never seen it before. See also Nate being thrown off the top rope. Arn gets punched down and now Flair and Piper have it out. They just about get a sunset flip right, the two, and on goes the sleeper hold. Arn causes it to be broken, so Flair gets hold of the Nux and down goes Roddy. But only a delayed cover and there is a kick out. Figure of four goes on instead and Arn assists. But wait, Buff is here. He slugs Arn and then goes to school on Rick. So there goes the bell. Flair takes it by DQ. Piper looks on admiringly and then he attacks Buff. Fucking hell. They, they all beat on Buff, so at least get to see the spine buster by Arn. And then Flair and Arn allow Piper to smack Bagwell with the belt, and Flair is still the boss. Uh, Eric, if this was anything else but WCW, I would be confused. But um, I expect confusion these days, if that makes sense. And they didn't disappoint. Yeah, I was just waiting for Bob to bring this up during our Buff Bagwell discussion uh, earlier because it completely negates everything that I was advocating for. Um, <laughs> I, well, I, I, it proves my point about everything that I just said. So. It's just it shows a complete it, it, WCW books on a bunch of on a, a bunch of individual tracks and not like on intersecting highways. So there's no there's probably no intellectual correlation for whoever put this together between the fact that you're trying to push Bagwell as a credible upper mid card guy. And then coming, having him come out and get beat up by a bunch of fifty-year-old, close to being ex-performers. There's no, there's no correlation there that one can logically reconcile. So whatever. But this is disappointing for me as the stalwart Roddy Piper fan of the podcast. Me being here in Portland, Oregon, where he cut his teeth uh, with Buddy Rose uh, back in the late seventies. And if you find tapes of those matches all the way through Piper in you know, the early eighties with Crockett uh, into his initial rock and wrestling run through his initial retirement at WrestleMania three. That was probably Piper's best run there that like 77 to 87. And that just shows how long he's been around. He's never a great in-ring worker, but the guy was in fantastic shape. He could move. He was quick on his feet from a boxing background. He always had good footwork. Um, he worked a believable style. He's undersized, but he always made up for it with kind of like that mad dog ravenous attitude. And then when he turned heel, he was mostly talk. And then when he needed to be in the ring, he could be a credible foil for Hogan. 
and and everybody else it came up against. That Piper is not this Piper, and that's it's really sad to see because Flair we know can still go at some you know relevant percentage of of what Flair was in his prime, but Piper is completely washed, and he should not be in a featured spot. And it's it's really interesting if you look at how time works because just two years ago at the Bash at the Beach '97. Uh, he and Flair had a match that was quite similar to every Piper Flair match that they've had in the last 15 years, but the crowd was into it. It was well worked. It was believable, and it was it was one of the best matches of the night. Go figure. And now here, just two years later, these guys come out and put on somewhere between a comedy match and a parody match um, that ends with a really convoluted finish. So I, I think it's just time to recognize that Piper's days as an interim performer have, have long passed him by. And I wish that he would stop putting, cause he has almost full booking control. I wish he would stop putting himself in this, in these scenarios because it's devaluing his legacy. It really, really is. Bob with or without 10 minutes of Bob Bagwell talk. Yeah, this was just really bad. I, I didn't, re- I don't care about Flair and Piper. I f- it feels like anytime these guys wrestle, it's the, it's this, it's been the same match for me for better part of eight years. Anytime that these guys wrestle, it's the same formula match, the same spots. Literally, I mean, it blows my mind that Flair and Piper is like what Eric just said is pretty much a, a comedy match. You know, it's a shell of them former selves, more so Piper than Flair at this point. Um, and the aftermath with Bagwell, I mean, what what are we doing? I mean, sure. I mean, realistically, if I were to be around three 50-year-old guys, pro- I mean, they would probably get some shots in. I'd maybe hold myself, you know, but Bagwell just got picked apart. And then you go and look on, you know, I think a week or two later, the same thing happens to Dean Malenko. So any of these guys that are trying to get elevated up the card, I mean, you're immediately telling the fans, like, your grandpa can probably knock this guy out. And it's just like, well, why am I going to do that when on the opposition, I got one guy taking out a whole freaking corporate group of dudes of, with, you know, nine guys. And they're all like 30 or 35 or whatever. Um, this is just a match for two guys that at one point had name power. And they were hopeful that maybe people would want to check out Flair Piper. And little did we know that we were pretty much watching a comedy, a comedy match. And, I don't think anybody really wants to see Flair and Piper in that capacity. And I'm sure Eric with with the, his history for Piper certainly didn't want to see Piper in that capacity. Yeah. And like, I, I just uh, completely different thought, but like, can we just like not constantly have authority figure storylines? Oh, um, please, please. But anyway, that's just, a, it's just, that's just a whole other layer to this unfortunate onion. Yeah, we we coming back to it when we talk about the nitros. I'm afraid, but yes, yeah, so authority yeah. figure storylines, just let it go. They've been, well, I suppose we're a bit more open to it on this particular podcast where you have. Well, then was Paul Heyman and ECW when he was on screen? Was he really an authority figure? Anyway, it's been yeah. at least three, it's been at least three years since heel Eric Bischoff in any event, and I feel like it's been three lifetimes. Uh, this match was horrendously awful. Again, though, like so much of WCW booking, I'm slightly anesthetized, anesthetized to it by the fact that I expect it. It's Flair versus Piper in 99. Flair is doing the comedy Flair spots in the ring with no real genuine intensity behind them. And Piper is as done as done can possibly be. He is incinerated on the outside. 
incinerated on the inside. You would not want to countenance putting it in a burger, no matter how much tomato sauce you put on top of it. I know. I've had barbecues. I've tried. I've tried to eat burgers that I know are burnt. But I've given up. And I don't know where I'm going with the rest of that analogy, to be quite honest with you. Comparing Roddy Piper to a bad barbecue burger, I imagine he's probably been called worse things recently. Please just hang it up. Guys, just very briefly... Um. Flep is going to predate our timeline. I know you liked the one a couple of years ago, Eric, but is there any footage, say maybe the 80s territory stuff of these two really having some particular bar burning matches? I know there was, they had a few on, didn't they have a couple on WWF house shows in late 91 when Flair first mm-hmm. came in? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, you're, you're really putting me off. Uh, you're really putting me on a, on, the, on a limb here, but yeah, the, the 91, yeah, I think I think that was Flair's first like major house show run. Yeah, I don't remember if it came before or after his run with Hogan, but um, yeah, those matches were if you can if you can see them. I've seen a couple here and there spots and stuff, but even going back to their stuff, really really early, it's tough to find those. But um, you know, when you get back into the early '80s, the dates kind of get all mixed up for me. But the, I mean, those guys, it's kind of like those early Flair Steamboat matches too. You hear about them and nobody's ever seen them, but they're apparently the best matches they ever had against each other. It's just impossible to find them. I, I just want to. I mean, I'm not an early '80s fan of any wrestling, but if you uh, if you check out, I want to say it's February of '92. I mean, if there's any fellow tape traders out there. You can probably come across a, a pretty solid cage match between uh, Piper and Flair, February of '92, and I think Providence, Rhode Island. Um, that's like that's only some pretty good stuff, but this is just so far off from even that in '92. So, yeah, see, I can understand that being all those matches being fairly decent watches because I was into Piper as the almost proto-ass-kicking babyface in late 91, early 92. So I reckon those matches could be well worth digging out. And I feel, given the name value of these two, I probably owe it to them to try to find a good match between them. But they're certainly not presenting it to us in the here and now. And we will have more from Flair and Piper a bit later on in our proceedings. Okay, so now we've got Rick Steiner versus Sting in a False Counts Anywhere match. It should be said that both Rick Steiner and Sting were in action at our friend Great American Bash 1991. Keep that in mind. Rick gets the early better of this one, although this leads to a rather poor send the opponent to the step spot where Sting's head was nowhere near them. They wisely switch it up and have the Stinger takeover right away. Brief brawl in the crowd, but Rick has a beverage in hand. <laughs> He's got the right idea. <laughs> Stinger goes for the splash, but hits the steel guardrail. I make it the 486th time on pay-per-view that he has done that. Here's an interesting spot, though. Steiner pulls back the mats and actually gets off the pile driver. I want to say that doesn't happen very often, and that is good for a two. Back in, release German suplex for another two counts. Chinlock goes on with little purpose and a standing elbow for two. He does that jump on the back thing, but Sting turns and knees him down low. Sting with a couple of Vader bombs, he's got a long memory, and then a splash from the very top, but only a two count off that. A cheap shot by Steiner, then he locks on a standing surfboard. Sting gets out without too much trouble, and now we get some Stinger splashes. Here comes the Scorpion. He gets it on, but Steiner reaches for the rope. If I was bothered, I would bring up why that should count for anything in a false count anywhere match, but I'm really not. Uh, Rick gets thrown outside and takes a suplex on the ramp. After a brief detour to the internet location, where we get to see Chris Jericho for the only time today, uh, we go behind the curtain, where Sting is met by Scott Steiner, Tank Abbott, and two 
Dobermans and a Rottweiler. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't laugh. I really shouldn't laugh. Security run down to help and we cut away. The crowd detest this and they are in very good company. In between shedding floods of tears, I see a sign in the crowd that reads, bring in Rob Van Dam and New Jack. For very different reasons, I would like to see how they would <laughs> Scott stomps to the ring and demands Rick is announced the winner. One, two, three. Uh, Bob, this was definitely one for the pound. Oh, boy. Um, definitely. Okay. Um, let me just cut right to the finish here. Uh, this is dumb. I mean, just everything. You could. <laughs> I feel like you could just. I'm laughing right now. So if I make no sense it's because i'm just visualizing in my head what i recall seeing uh i am pretty sure that you can blatantly see a white towel in sting's right hand yes which is what i think the dog is biting yes so you know it's not actually touching sting and i think the, the way they were trying to maneuver the camera was to make you like not see that but you you saw it because he wears black gloves so anything white is going to stand out in his hand uh, and that sure enough happened. Just ridiculous. I mean, what what is so hard? You're in a false count anywhere match. No disqualifications. You can pretty much do wherever, you know, whatever the hell you want. You can go wherever the hell you want. And you're still refusing, refusing to simply have Sting do a job. Sting has done plenty of jobs in his career. And he and they won't have Rick Steiner go over him. Now, to kind of go back to my Buff Bagwell argument here, if Rick Steiner were to have won this match, then I can be then I would go with Eric and be like, well, yeah, you're right. You know, he just beat Sting at the pay-per-view. It makes a whole lot of sense. But the fact is, is he didn't beat Sting. I know he's announced as being beating Sting, but I do not recall a one, two, three. I do not recall a submission. Hell, I don't even recall a count out. So this is a finish where it's just like, hey fans. You think you're intelligent about professional wrestling? Well, you're not. So that's why Rick Steiner won this match, basically because Scott Steiner is a terrifying person wearing a ridiculous jersey, but we will do whatever the hell he tells us to do. That is how Rick Steiner won this match. And because two probably overly hyper dogs that just wanted to get a pet attacked Sting in a parking lot. Doug Dillinger running full steam towards the scene. An absolute hilarious sight to see. He is by far the absolute worst security guy in the history of professional wrestling. And you may be saying, why would you say that, Bob? Six days ago, your heavyweight champion almost got murdered by a Hummer. And where's your security guy? Nowhere to be seen. Any security guy. Nowhere to be seen. It is comical that they even have a head of security. The guy does absolutely nothing. I will point out, though, that the action, if you want to call it that, between Rick and, and Sting, technically speaking, wasn't the worst thing ever. It was an average match, maybe, if, at best. But what you're going to remember, typically, I mean, usually in wrestling, is the finish. And holy hell, this was just awful. And then you go into the... You go into the aftermath, like with Scott Steiner, as, you, as we've mentioned. The biggest pop of the night so far is Scott Steiner going, WCW sucks. 
Mm-hmm. And the crowd's like, yeah, dude, you're right. This isn't them being like NWO school because guess what? For all intents and purposes, there's no NWO. And not the horse and, you know, Scott Norton and Stevie Ray nonsense. That's not, that's a joke of itself. You're, you're telling everybody that your product or company promotion is the drizzling shits. And they're like, dude, you're so right. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. As a viewer, I'm la- like, why, why would I tune into this ever again? Freaking 13,000 people were just like, you know what you're talking about, Scott Steiner. Because this has been awful, and and boy has it been. Just just do the job, Sting. I don't mean to cut you off there, Eric, but just 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 bad decision making. Just just have finishes for the love of God, and not incorporate household animals. To get it done. <laughs> uh, to Eric, this one really should have been put down. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I, uh, where do you even start with this one? Okay. So, um, yeah, you don't, you don't need a lot of analysis to realize that having a, a performer attacked by dogs is a, not a great idea because it's either going to look way too violent or it's going to look hokey. And in this case, it looked, it, well, it is hokey no matter what you do. I, so I, I guess it makes sense because it's Rick Steiner and he's, you know, the dog pound and all that stuff, but it's super dumb. Um, and, I, I would like to think that if Scott Steiner were healthy, he would be in the spot because there's clearly a disparity in the value of Rick Steiner versus the value of Scott Steiner. This is, if this was 1987, I can understand Sting and Rick Steiner having a bit up, big upper mid-card feud, but it's not, and Scott has clearly eclipsed his brother. So I would like to think that Rick is simply holding the door open for Scott, keeping the seat warm, warm for him, however you want to phrase it, to get a Scott versus Sting program because that could actually be pretty fun. The problem with Sting is that he's clearly not a top guy. He, he, I'm starting to realize that WCW maybe made the right decision by not putting the belt on him and having him be their stalwart guy at Starcade because the guy is horrible on the mic. I mean, he has no clue what his character is or what it should be at this point. He, along with Nash, has, has a propensity of making dick jokes, which is exactly what you want from your brooding crow ripoff character, right? His dick jokes on Raw. Um, and he's not a great worker, and he doesn't really sell particularly uh, convincingly. And he is just not—I I hate to say this—but he's just, dude's just not all that over. Um, and so you, the fact that you have him against Rick Steiner, who's a mid-card tag act, um, and he doesn't just cleanly beat the guy, means that WCW has no faith in Sting as as anything but just another, you know, cog in their in their in their you know, in their system. So, uh, yeah, this match just kind of fell flat. The finish was stupid. Um, it continues the devaluation of sting. I don't know if that was ever redeemable, frankly, but whatever, uh, that's where we are. And the, the fact is that if this were Scott Steiner, I would completely agree that he just needs to go over sting clean, but it's not, it's Rick. So they booked themselves into a corner here. Cause you can't just have Rick beat sting. I just, I still don't think you can do that. This is the Great American Bash, and I, of course, joined. I am, of course, joined by two esteemed Americans. But I think, being the token limey on the particular broadcast, I'm going to allow myself a brief Britishism for this particular this particular match. We have an expression on this side of the pond: the dogs bollocks. For those of you who might have heard the word bollocks, you think, "Oh yes, but bollocks means bad, doesn't it?" It does. But the dogs bollocks means good. 
the dog's bollocks, therefore, was not this particular match, <laughs> if you see what I did there. Even though we did get to actually see the dog's bollocks during this one, in very literal sense. Uh, the match itself was all right, but again, it doesn't really matter. Nobody is talking about that. Everybody is talking about the end. It wasn't a finish. It was the end, a very bitter end, to the point where, A, you're quite right, Bob, about the towel being bitten by one of the dogs. But I swear, if I had the nerve, I'd go back and watch it. I swear the other dog was licking Sting's face. Licking his <laughs> face. I half expected our boy Steve Bond to stroke him and sell, say, there you go, nice doggy. Who's a good doggy then? Maybe the face paint isn't actually paint, but it's actually just whipped cream. <laughs> that would explain quite a lot. I mean, it's always falling off his face. Who knows? It could be. It's one, it's one of those where if you show me too much, what I'm taking completely out of the moment. If you just hear dogs, two, three, four, five dogs barking, and then you, I don't know, you lose the feed or something, then we can try to possibly fill in the gaps with our mind's eye. But actually showing us them licking his face about as threatening as a fucking poodle. It Again, it's just yet another, it's just fucking litany of them at the moment, of World Championship Wrestling doing things because nobody is in a position to say no to these things. I mean, it's fair to blame Kevin Nash for this one, right? I mean, no, nobody else has owned up. These things because it just because they can, not because it's helping. It's because they can. It's. I talked to this a lot when I was on ECW shows in ninety six, ninety seven. Just because you can throw stuff at the wall doesn't mean you have to. ECW, by and large, would get away with it. They had some trip ups, more than a few, but they had enough good to make up for it. This is just stuff for the sake of stuff. And if you do, and it's executed poorly, my cat is more threatening than those particular dogs. I, it's, it's just, I have no further dog puns, Your Honor, on this particular one, If or even if you don't know what I mean. Just don't do it. But I repeat, New Jack versus a Doberman, I'm all in for that one. Oh, boy. <laughs> the pit, you know, the, the, pit, the, the pit bulls, maybe. Hey, I know what you mean. So, two matches to go. Tag Team Championship, an actual proper match here, perhaps. Benoit and Saturn versus DDP and Canyon. Canyon and Benoit start us off, and boy, do I need some of them right now. Fast-paced counters from both before the chops that stay chopped by Mr. Benoit. He gives the same stuff to DDP too, and the faces stand tall early doors. DDP versus Saturn now. Drop toe hold by Perry and a scoop slam plus rope leg drop with a 180 twist, whatever that means. Uh, the heels regroup on the outside, but only to take stereo overhead suplexes and then Saturn clotheslines Canyon over the top. Uh, Bam Bam, though, grabs Benoit's ankle so Paige can then clothesline him. Bam Bam and Canyon duff him up so Paige is able to assume control. Short arm clothesline and then Canyon is in. Famous off the second rope by the big man, but he won't get more than two there. Tag again and Paige with a side suplex, but again, no chance of a win. Powerbomb attempt, but Chris rolls through. He can't get a roll-up on, but a bridge German suplex makes it for a snap two count. But the heels cheap shot their way back into it. Lovely sit-up powerbomb by Paige, but then Canyon misses a moonsault attempt. Benoit is then able to make the tag and Saturn cleans house. T-bone to Canyon and hard slam to DDP. Big frog splash to Canyon for a two. Ten punches for DDP, but Canyon is back and electric chairs him down. Page gets a two off the draped arm pinfall attempt. Saturn is slung to the outside, so Page and Bam Bam sort him out. Russian leg sweep by Canyon, but a DDP elbow also only gets a two. 
Low leg drop by Canyon, and then he holds on to Saturn after a sunset flip, after blind tagging Page, who can then axe handle Perry from behind. Yep, I liked that. Front face lock on now, which gets turned into a neck breaker for another two counts. Splash by Page for two. Saturn tries for the tag, but Page drop toe holds him down. Dominated by Canyon, but still the Jersey team cannot get more than a two. Headlock by Page, but Saturn can make the tag, but the ref doesn't see it. At least this time he really did miss it. Page with a charge, but Saturn drops to the mat, so DDP needs the buckle instead, and this allows the hot tag. The crippler goes after both guys, and then they do the old low bridge head block pratfall. Canyon just kicks out at two, but runs into Bigelow on the apron after Benoit ducks down. He then hooks on the rolling Germans. Three of them, in fact, but no three count, as Page is in. Dragon suplex for one, two, th- no. DDP narrowly got there to break it up, I think. Benoit with a diving headbutt, but DDP sees Saturn on the other buckle and diamond cutters it down. Milenko comes to ringside to help the fallen Saturn, so the ref cannot see the crypto crossface go on Canyon. Nor does he see DDP and Bam Bam Bigelow team up for a cutter, nor they drag Canyon on top, and we get a three count and new champions. For a while there, Eric, just for a while, a wrestling match threatened to break out. Yeah, we had... If the if the first tag match was two thirds of a of an entertaining match, this was slightly better better than that. And then, as is tradition, uh, it kind of falls apart at the end. Uh, but this was a, I think this was the best match of the night. Uh, I don't know if there's any going to be any pushback on that um, because yeah, this was the only thing on the entire card that resembled a pay per view level match with heat and uh, you know relatively logical booking. And, um, you know, storyline advancement, if you're not going to have storyline conclusion, because now you have a reason to have, you know, throw in the, the, the issue with Dean and, and Saturn and, and Benoit, because Dean maybe cost them this match. And now you're, or maybe you're building up to a, a, a three-way or a six-man match or something else with Bam Bam. This is, this was perfectly fine. It's just the end of these matches almost universally now. Uh, both in WWF and WCW. WWF, you get a little bit more, a few more clean finishes on pay-per-view, but this is just an, a, an overbooked mess in order to get DDP and Canyon the win without potentially devaluing Benoit and Saturn. But I think, you, you know, faces can take losses on pay-per-view, especially Saturn. This could have been a whole hell of a lot cleaner, especially since you have Bam Bam out there wreaking havoc potentially anyway. My only complaint with this whole with this whole scheme is the fact that you have Bam Bam Bigelow, who's re- main evented at WrestleMania, uh, was you know a main eventer there for a cup of coffee, and then was one of the tippy top guys in ECW for a, a few years, and now he's out here is essentially functioning as Canyon and DDP's manager, um, and I don't know that he's hurt because he's competing on the Nitros, so I think it's just you know. If we're complaining about the undercard of this of shows like this one, why not put Bam Bam in a match and build him too as a credible guy instead of just having him hang out and do next to nothing for the better part of twenty minutes? That's the only gripe I have, but the match itself was fine, except for the end. Yeah, exactly, Bob and Eric has said it all there, really, hasn't he? What match itself perfectly fine, but they just can't help themselves with these finishes. Yeah, so. I would say it was it was a decent tag match, and in my notes here, I have I might have to watch this on its own to maybe get a better appreciation for it because considering what I had to watch for the first two hours and ten minutes or so, really kind of checked me out emo- uh, emotionally and mentally for this match. 
I don't think a clean loss by Benoit or Saturn devalues them at all, just because for the most part, these are four guys that over the course of the last two to three years, in some capacity, they've been trading wins and losses against each other anyway. So they're kind of all on an equal footing. So if DDP and Canyon, I know they're like a new heel group or so or whatever, but if they were to pin, let's say Benoit, like if DDP pins Benoit, I'm not going to look at Benoit and say, oh, now he's, you know, lower down the card to me. It to, That wouldn't happen to me just because they've been intertwined, even dating back to early 98, where sure he won this time, but I'm sure he'll get him. The, he might get him the next time. So you can build anticipation. So like tomorrow night on Nitro, if these guys were to have a rematch, I'm watching that thinking Benoit and Saturday can, can, can win this. I'm not going to go into it thinking, DDP and Canyon won last night clean. That's over. So that to me isn't an issue. Um, the Bigelow thing, I would rather DDP and Canyon be the main team and then you can branch off Bigelow into something else. Like Eric mentioned, when he was in ECW from late 97 all the way through most of 98, he was arguably like the bit, the biggest heel. Like his stuff with Taz from an angle perspective was really great. And he came in with some level of steam for his match with Goldberg. And of course they've had to murder that by uh, super brawl. And now he's been in kind of like a joke, hardcore matches lately, but you know, you, you could have filled, you could probably fill this card out a lot better by adding the, the triad, having some kind of steam attached to it. So instead of let's say a Mikey or Van Hammer or even Miller and Hogan, you could probably put Bigelow in there with a guy like Kidman or something and have a really good nine, 10 minute match and have Bigelow go over. And in some capacity, Kidman could get like a rub from working with a guy like Bigelow. Now, if it's a big rub, I, that's debatable, but you're probably going to get a pretty good, you know, a solid match. And then you have going forward, you have the tag champions, you have Bigelow kind of gaining some steam instead of just sitting at ringside, rooting on his fan, his friends and then helping them win the match. So, the fact that they needed help doesn't help them. You know, they should be able to win matches convincingly and that's how you build steam. So it looks like they don't know, in, at least in my opinion, they don't know how to provide steam for heels because if you book a face correctly, they can recover from clean losses. And so like if like next month, if they were to beat DDP and Canyon, like it, they're back to being on level playing field. But like I said, a decent match, probably better if I just watch it by itself. I might have to do that and then I'll be on here however many months down the road to retract my lack of enthusiasm for it. But um, I also probably would have rather Benoit and Saturn been champions a little bit longer than like three days or whatever it was. So we are never talking about this show again, Bob, so you can get that idea out of your head. Well, right I'm just now. saying, like, maybe <laughs> maybe at, like, Halloween Havoc or something, I can be on. But, hey, guys, remember that, that shit show four months ago? Well, we That do. tag title match was, like, kind of decent. And you guys would be like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'd be like, never mind, never mind. Well, That's we do, of course, have our end-of-year rewards in six months' time, and I do wonder how prominent this one will feature in certain categories. Well, I really wish I could do what the BBC used to do in the 1960s and just wipe their broadcasts of programmes as soon as they were concluded. At some, uh, <laughs> in a very literal sense, leave the memories alone. And we're not right. done yet. This match, though, was okay. It was okay. I thought it was a bit on the slow side. And yes, I know they needed to go 20 minutes in this one, but for a good 10, 12 minutes, 
it felt a bit move quick break move right. quick break rather than move transition move transition there's a big big difference if you know what you're looking for and of course everybody listening to this show very much uh very much on the ball i'm sure they will agree on that one but a lot of fine moves canyon is an excellent moves guy he still hasn't really developed to where he was two years ago as mortis though he's got the moves he hasn't got a massive amount else and so I suppose, but teaming him with a big name like DDP, and I suppose Bam Bam to some degree, is perhaps now that's probably where he should be. And yeah, I do agree with you, Bob. Ben Warren's Ben Warren Saturn only won the titles on Thunder, letting them have a little bit of a run with it. And I don't think it hurts the Jersey Triad for winning cleanly. Now the whole point about heels winning cleanly, especially if they are part of a group or a stable, now it makes them seem more of a threat. Now, if they can win matches without cheating, you know, doesn't that make you hate them more? Doesn't that make you as a fan really, really want to see the good guys get a piece of them? It certainly does for me. And I think it's a lesson that all companies, certainly the big two, need to learn. Bad people can still no, bad people should still have a place on your roster. They just still deserve being signed, if you want to look at this in kayfabe terms. And they don't need the cheating finish all the time. So Main event time, Kevin Nash defending the world title against Randy Savage. Never before seen this particular match, unless you count their interactions in Survivor Series 1993. I should say that when the bell rings, there are only nine and a half minutes left in the entire show. Nash with the forearms of damnation and the knee of destruction, so you know we're not here for a long time. But hey, at least we're here for a good time. Ah, no, maybe not. The framing elbow actually frames a chance of we want puppies. <laughs> he ain't going to like that. Sidewalk slam, but that hurts Nash too. Do you not know how to fall properly, Kev? Maybe try taking a few more bumps yourself one day? Oh, that was such a poor transition. And now Savage attacks with kicks to the ribs. Clothesline over the top and more kicks on the outside, with Medusa laying in one or two as well. Back in for some face grinding and some jabs. The ref gets healed up and then Miss Madness with a missile dropkick. Then the reinstated elbow drop. One, two. Nope. There goes that finisher. <sighs> Again. <laughs> and now Nash is up as if nothing had happened. Snake eyes, big boot, and his Mike Tanay on commentary. Look at him gutting it out. Ah, oh, what a brave little soldier. Down come the straps and here comes the jackknife. And there it is. Medusa and George and Miss Madness are in though. And wait, what? singlet and it's going for the jackknife powerbomb put a lot of people out with this that's it Medusa kicks the ribs again gorgeous George on the back of Kevin Nash gorgeous George goes down Right there, guys. Oh, why? It is fucking Sid. Match is thrown out. 
Big boot and powerbomb to the champion. Who's the man? He helps Macho Man. But after that two hours and 40 minutes, our need is surely greater than that of Randy Savage. Bob, when I repeat, when the bell rang, there were nine and a half minutes left in the show. Not the match, the show. That is what they provided for us. And not even the return of Sid, i.e. the best worst wrestler in the world ever, can mask what a disaster of a main event that was. Okay, I, I got a few things uh, that's, that I have a problem with on this. So Kevin Nash is pretty much almost murdered on uh, on Nitro, and he's selling his ribs. Does he have taped ribs or anything? Anybody know? I haven't got close enough to check. Okay, so I'm gonna go. To I'm, I'm gonna go with a hard no. His the amount of selling that he did was simply putting his left arm against his rib cage and just like wincing. <laughs> after having a Hummer that's our boy driven into his car oh, no. three times <laughs> there is no tape on his ribs oh no right at least not you know noticeable he's got straps on so maybe maybe we're supposed to believe that there is something other I just want to point out DDP would get hit with a chair and have taped ribs for about nine months <laughs> Kevin Nash gets freak, a hit and run and he's just totally like okay he hits the power bomb why he doesn't even like he, at least I know there's nine minutes, but at least like try it once and be like, oh, my ribs hurt or something. And no, nah, he says, I'm good. I can just lift up this inflated Randy Savage. No problem. Despite getting hit by a car, by a Hummer three times repeatedly. That's okay. I'm a huge Sid Mark. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Sid, actually. Not because he's a good in-ring wrestler. Just because I just want to know what he's going to say when he's got a microphone. So this should be fun. Um, I am not looking forward, though, to a potential Sid Nash program. Yeah, but we, we, we've uh, we've been there before, haven't we? I was gonna say, like, if you <laughs> if you go probably go into the uh, you know the archives here four years ago, that was this bad. Ugh. And so let's just repeat history. You know, I feel like '95 for even WWF standards it was like pretty historically bad. So like, let's just recycle through that one four years later and just point out. How is WCW's business going on right now? Okay, needless to say. Although I did appreciate Sid hitting the powerbomb, it would have been hilarious if the next night to really just come full circle on the angle if Nash had broken his arm or something, <laughs> similar to what they actually did back then. Uh, this match was pretty was pretty bad. and There's no way you can go into this thinking that it's going to be good. In fact, let's just say it was shit, which is the whole premise of the feud between these two. Hey. You go to the next. You go to the next night on Nitro. The stills, usually stills. You know, you see some pretty good highlights. Every single highlight was just a kick to the ribs. What? Why? What? Why are you even gonna try to be like, oh, check out the replay as Randy Savage kicks Nash in the ribs, and then Nash does it to him too. All right, great. Spend that twenty nine ninety five on us again. No. And then the elbow drop is which was banned because it's so critically horrible. And then Nash is like, no, nah, I'm kicking out the same guy that got drilled by a Hummer three times kicks out at two on the, I mean, I, what a shock. Another non-finish all of these matches, all of the marquee matches have either had an interference or is a, 
ridiculous outcome like the Steiner Sting, which didn't even have a finish. It just concluded, as we've noted. Or it's been a disqualification. And what the only real clean finishes were like the first three matches, and those were just not great matches at all. And maybe the matches, if you want to even say like the marquee matches that made people want to buy it, when in fact no one really wanted to buy this, we get nitro finishes. It it it, it blows my mind that they cannot make the pay-per-views feel different from nitro. Nitro is fine if you want to do your DQs and all that stuff. But when it comes to pay-per-view, you gotta get the job done. Yes. And they're just refusing to get the job done. And now you might be wondering, well, do you have Nash go over clean? Do you have Savage go over clean? I would have just put Nash over clean, had Sid come out and do his little beat down and go from there. Because at least there's a conclusion to the angle and you're progressing it, shifting it into Sid Nash, well, even if that's bad. And you're kind of taking Savage out of that spot where realistically Savage probably shouldn't even be in that. But instead, God forbid that Randy Savage, who has for the most part really never had an issue losing matches, to my knowledge, they go with a non-finish. I just this is this is how you alienate your fan base to a point where they're not going to want to support you because you're not giving them good good outcomes or meaningful outcomes. So if I'm watching your program, whether it be TV or pay-per-view, and I know immediately before I go into it that I'm not going to be satisfied as a viewer. Why should I invest into it? It's like watching any kind of sitcom and you're really invested into a, a storyline between two characters. And then they're just like, no, we're not going to finish it for you. We're, we're going to stop mid season. That's, that's what they do seemingly with every single angle. There's never a concrete conclusion to it. Cause like they don't want to make anybody seem weak, but as a result, cause no one can win. Everybody's weak. Just, they just shoot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. Sure do. Eric, bring this train home without an emergency stop, if you can. <laughs> uh, I was a little bit relieved when there was only 10 minutes left because yeah. I don't know who wanted to see a lengthy Randy Savage, Kevin Nash no, match at this stage in Savage's career. I have no doubt that if we had a Kevin Nash now who has improved since he was diesel, I mean, we can't deny that this guy has, you know, he's gotten better in the ring. He He's, you know, as William the Refrigerator Perry once said, he's worked his way up to a zero. Um, but uh, Savage now is such a big, stiff guy. I mean, it's kind of like a Scott Steiner situation now where he was once this really agile guy in the ring who could kind of go with anybody and, you know, you know, he'd have a good athletic contest with him and he's just so big and he's had too many injuries and he's so stiff. He just doesn't have that same grace that Savage used to. So now, you know, he's kind of hamstrung and then you put him there with a guy who's perpetually hamstrung in Kevin Nash. I don't know what we were expecting. Um, so the fact that we were, you know, put out of our misery in only seven minutes, uh, I'm fine with that. I didn't buy the show expecting the main event to deliver on, you know, as consideration for my my hard-earned money. Um, so that was fine. The storyline is terrible. I don't know what we have to discuss about that. It's just not good. And then the introduction of Sid is such – the WCW is wearing its desperation on its sleeve. And if you look through the sheets this month, everybody who's anybody in WCW, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Hulk Hogan, even expressed his dis discomfort with Sid coming in. So WCW is further alienating the top of its card by bringing in somebody who's just always been a disaster in the end. He's never finished out a storyline. He rarely does jobs. 
and he's just a massive pain in the ass to work with. He's unsafe in the ring, and the guy gets over, but it's always just this fleeting moment, and then he just becomes another Leviathan with a with an oversized contract. And so I think this bringing in Sid, especially to feud with Nash, is a huge mistake. And the fact that you have guys already like Flair and like Hogan who are essentially refusing to work with the guy that limits what you, what you can do with him once you once he's finished with with Nash. And you're not going to pay a guy like Sid to come in and work a short program with Nash and leave. So I, this is a desperation move by WCW that's inevitably not going to work because it never works with Sid. And they're just going to have stinker matches after stinker matches kill the up, upper card if they're going to have this long program with Nash and Sid. So uh, maybe Sid was driving the Hummer. Is that the is that where we're going with this? Could that be I, it? I, I, I hope I, it is. Yeah. I think that was even kind of implied uh, towards the end of the month. I think it was even mentioned because you saw Sid, I think, get out of a car. And Tony was like, oh, is he the one driving the Hummer? So they should just have him drive around in a Hummer that has massive front end damage, and that would. That would... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... awkwardly deny it. Like oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. My positive takeaway from this is if Sid was driving the Hummer, and it leads to a series of matches with Nash that aren't zero star matches, then I think we'll all count our blessings that this worked out as good as it could have. And I think that's the best we can hope for, isn't it? That you know, Sid and Kevin Nash, if they can get to quarter of a star, then all of this will be worthwhile, will it not? We'll look back on Great American Bash 99. But guys, this was only the start. I fear it's the start of something else. Match was pitifully awful. Again, though, you know it's going to be Kevin Nash, Randy Savage, plus the extra 50 pounds of Randy Savage, inverted commas. Not going to be good at all. Nash, in as much as he can, was racing through this particular context by going straight to his shine. Oh God, none of, none of these words make any sense in this context. His shine after 30 seconds. But he still found time to completely destroy Randy Savage's finisher. If you thought WrestleMania five or the uh, reviving elbow at Clash of the Champions in January 95 weren't quite enough for the poor man, then there you go. I don't think anybody expected the running finish, and the crowd were... There were a few gusps in the audience. I was gusping a lot during this show, but for different reasons. But it's still Sid. It's still Sid interfering in a match. It's still Sid interfering in a match for the world title, which means we don't get a finish on an event people have paid twenty nine ninety five for. And not even Sid and all my biases towards the man, so they might be, can colour the fact that we got a non-finish on a pay-per-view. Fuck it. Yeah, you're right. Beat Savage here. I'm sure Nash didn't mind putting that idea down. That probably was the original plan, but Savage, of course, has creative control too. Beat him fucking one, two, three. Do it. And debut Sid the next night. Savage, he comes out pretending to do the thing. Oh, I've been completely beaten here. Maybe it's time for me to hang it up. You can even do that as a, a storyline throughout the show. But at the end, he has Sid come out and do his bidding for him, does the old fool you thing, and then you begin another program there. But you end a pay-per-view, which had very little to grasp onto it anyway, with a non-finish. And it's a non-finish to a terrible match. You know, we're not talking as Shawn Michaels' Mankind at Mind Games 96 here. The finish is the only thing this match would possibly have going for it. And we did not get it. But Bob, briefly recap the previous two hours and 40 minutes we did get. And, oh, this will be fun. A score rating out of 10. Oh boy. Um let's say 
you've had something horribly go on in your life, whether it be, a, you know, someone close to you dying, maybe a breakup. Well, I suggest that if any of that happens, you're down, down the dumps. Why not just put on the great American bash in 1999 and just be a depressed, miserable person for three hours, because this is going to be the perfect show to do that. This is the debt, probably the burial of what was the great American bash at one point, one of the marquee biggest events for WCW throughout the or NWA throughout the years. This was not that this was a very, very poor, absolutely atrocious outing. There was maybe two decent tag team matches, but under no circumstance do you need to really go out of your way to see either one of them. I am going to give this a very generous in kind full hearted one and a half stars or one out of one and a half out of 10, because there is no reason to ever under any circumstance, see this match or see the show in full. Unless of course you're already suffering through a horrible tragic event and you just want to be in nothing but complete misery. Cause that is what this show is a complete misery. One and a half out of 10, then. Can it happen? Let's find out. Eric, over to you. Yeah, this was a show that didn't quite have the negative uh, connotations, the negative depths, the outright uh, uh, stepping backwards uh, away from progress uh, that uh, prior bad shows have had. So it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite scrape the depths of a zero um, because there were actually some logical finishes if poorly booked and storylines went in directions that maybe they should tend to go and by and large some of the right people went over but that's all this show has going for it so i will also generously give this show a two out of ten simply because while it is completely inconsequential and, and and will not be remembered fondly barring a complete turnaround in wcw's booking fortunes it 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 wasn't the uh, it didn't quite ruin uh, the overall perception that one might have of WCW uh, to warrant it the fabled zero. So two out of ten for me. Oh, I haven't got the maths in front of me, but I think this one is just going to save the be saved from the official worst pay per view in our project epithet because I am also going for a two on this one. <laughs> when I build up for a two, you know you've got problems. But I think, Eric, you summed it up there quite nicely. There were at least things you can take from this show. Well, not things I'd ever want to give back, but there are one or two things you can take. We did, have, <laughs> we did have a good tag match. We had some competent work sprinkled up and down the cards. But so often, of course, that work was masked by the horrendous excuses for match finishes which cannot, must not, and should not be forgotten as much as I would like to. And of course, at least half of that score is for Sid's return. I should just say Sid has actually signed a three-year contract, and this being WCW, they informed barely any of the staff that they were signing him before this event. So there you go. Oh I, feel like I, should, I feel like I should take that half mark back off now, but there you go. Can you imagine the terror for Doug Dellinger when he sees <laughs> Sid and he's like, oh my God, not again. Set the poodles on him. So there we go. Just I think So I think that makes November to remember 98 still our official worst show in terms of composite average mark. 
We got. No, I was on that one too. Yeah, funny that. So you both. I, I, I wonder what I would have given that. It probably would have been if I'd been on it. Actually, we had Battle Bowl '93. Want to go way, way, way back in time? Oh, but Bob was the only person who saw that one. So, although I'm not sure many people would have actually given that one more than the 0.5 out of 10 he awarded it. But well done, Great American Bash. You are at least good for something. But please, everybody, please, please, please. Just take our word for it and do not watch this pathetic excuse for a show. No matter how low an ebb your life might be after Bob, <laughs> despite the examples Bob has given you, two out of ten for this wretched pay-per-view. Out of the PPV in DC at the MCI, and sadly I am not MIA. We actually get two opening intro titles for this one. Oh, how they spoil us. Which they prove with Wyndham and Hennig versus Adams and Vincent. And the ball rope is all our favourite new band need. Gene could not be more out of place heading the press conference for Master P. He's the 11th highest grossest entertainer, don't you know? P's own promo is as unconvincing as you would expect. But at least he doesn't say, I hope he doesn't slam me, like most celebrities do. He's got wrestlers down pat at least. Here comes Macho. Last night he was crowned the uncrowned heavyweight champion of all time, and yes, he really says that. But he was the victim of the crime of the century. He has one word for Nash, the Macho Man will be unbelievably vicious. Yes, he also said one word. He rambles rather horribly until the director comes to his rescue. Kidman sees the Hugh Morris with the SSP, and as we will talk about shortly, Oakland talks to President Flair, who offers a vice presidential role to Rowdy Roddy Piper. The Cats versus Norton is next, and a standing sidekick gives Ernest the win. Van Hammer gets another win to his name against Disco with a side suplex, which Tony calls a big Nitro moment. Disco attacks the ref afterwards. After a shield for the mooted return of Dennis Rodman, Hack whacks Brian Nobbs so Finley can pin him. Now, who is this in the audience? Bischoff drops a Playboy reference, and Corley suggests she has no idea what she's doing here. He does, of course, not name her. But the crowd do that for us during a big sexy promo next. He's not happy with that. He is here though to address Sid. He wants him for the title tonight. He appears on the screen and hasn't missed the beat. By which I mean he shouts and whispers utter psycho babble. But you just have to love the guy for it. Flair teams up with Piper. Oh god. And Canyon and DDP versus Benoit, Malenko, Bagwell and Saturn. This one gets a good amount of time and is worth digging out. At one point all of the faces but figures... Is it figure of fours or figures of four? Anyway, that move on the old fellas. And after the action breaks down, Buff pins Flair cleanly with the blockbuster. Hack versus Rick Steiner goes to the back. Steiner slams him through the roof of a cab, which just happens to be one that Sting was in. The Stinger then slings him through the side of a house trailer, as you do. Both Ray and Conan pin La Parker and Psychosis. Master P and crew celebrate, but Hennig and Wyndham sneak their own jam onto the sound system before the No Limit soldiers run them off. So it is Sid versus Nash for the title, or possibly not, as Savage is here. He wants Cav to hand over the belt. Nash agrees, then suckers him. For some reason the bell rings as this is now a match. The gals blow their interference, then Sid comes down anyway. He and Macho duff up the champ until Sting and the Bat get rid of them. The yelling our name. <laughs> the hot rod will take all your mothers home and make him scream. So shut up. I tell you to after he gets through making Hillary go. Woo! 
We're not that far away. Oh, I tell you, I tell you, here in Washington, there's all kinds of things that I'm proud of, but to be in Washington, D.C., I promise as vice president that I will uphold the office just like the White House does in Washington, D.C., where D.C. stands for don't confess. Wait a minute. Do you have any skeletons in the closet? Skeletons in the closet? If it comes to my personal life, I have more skeletons in my closet. I have done everything and some stuff I made up. I swear to you that all those wine and wrestlers back there that want main events, that want all kinds of things, dressing rooms, I'm going to make you all happy. I'm going to get fight after fight. I swear this on Bill Clinton's honor. It's going to be my pleasure, Mr. President, to be with you in the WCW, calling the shots, stirring it up. In the old days? You betcha. But I just one question, just like, you know, I'm the vice president and you're the president, and uh, I know you don't smoke, but if you were to get hit by a tobacco truck, would I become president? <laughs> At my age, I might fall over right now. You never know. Yes. <laughs> And if I do, you can have the job. It's yours. All right. Because you're the hot rod. You're the hot rod. We're going to make them rock, Washington. We're going to make them rock and suck right here. You are the hot rod. You will remember from our Great American Bash review, because you haven't gone back and watched the show yourselves, because you guys actually have brains that operate and all that sort of thing, that... At the end of their match, Roddy Piper actually sort of teamed up with Ric Flair to beat up Buff Bagwell. No, Bob, you're not getting another 10 minutes on that one. <laughs> Maybe next month. And um, But that seemed to be it. It wasn't explained because, of course, it wasn't. But we do get to the next night on Nitro. And as you will have heard there, I played in the audio for you. President Ric Flair said he was going to make a major coup happen, offering Hot Rod a vice presidential position. And he seemed pretty authentic about doing so. He even laid on the pipe band treatment as a bit of a sweetener. But Piper, and I quote, hasn't seen that much wind passed since Bam Bam recently visited Taco Bell. So we are back to where we were before the Great American Bash with Piper and Flair at loggerheads fighting for ownership of the company. Right? Wrong. Because in amongst all the bluster, Piper just seemed to accept that particular offer, team up with Flair, turn heel, Beat down Buff, of course. Beat down Di Malenko the next week. And just basically be the narrow heel version of Rowdy Roddy Piper with very little explanation whatsoever, completely rendering the previous two months of storyline utterly obsolete. And what was the reason given? Why should Piper suddenly do this? Because, and this is if I've followed the lines they gave us on Nitro correctly before I completely zoned out, that Flair and Piper were big names back in the 80s, so that's good enough reason for them to suddenly team up. Oh, God. Fool's errand looking for logic in this sort of thing. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on that? And briefly as well, that Piper has actually gone on record as saying that he and Piper should run the company for real backstage. And I did say run, not ruin. <laughs> uh, so I'll keep it in storyline. Well, if you read the sheets this month, there's uh, there's it's pretty clear that 
Flair and Piper are both dissatisfied, and, and Macho Man, too, for what that's worth, although he's separate from this particular storyline. But you have Flair and Piper who are both dissatisfied, and in Flair's case, apparently completely disillusioned with the direction of his character. Uh, not that this doesn't happen with Ric Flair every two or three years, and then it bowls over, they give him a new contract or whatever. But yeah, there is a lot of dissension because apparently there's not a, a lot of thought being thrown into what these people are doing. Now, uh, my understanding was that Piper had some modicum of creative control, and so I don't know if that's they're at loggerheads with that because Piper's not controlling his character as he should. But yeah, apparently this is not this Piper heel torn turn and uh, reconciliation with Ric Flair is not meant to be a build up to another Piper Flair match. It's just supposed to be where the story goes. So now you have Piper and Flair as kind of like these tweener leaning heel authority figures who are the matchmakers but they're flares it's just it's a it's kind of a mess and they piper's piper's promos are all over the place there's no rain on this guy whatsoever so yeah it could be entertaining and it could be fun to have this heel piper flare authority figure angle maybe run it against some of the younger guys or apparently it's being set up for nash now go figure but it could be it could be fun, but it's 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 not. And I think the fact that both Piper and Flair's hearts aren't in the storylines at all, I, I think this is just destined for failure, unfortunately, because what you what you could have are two guys who are really good on the mic who probably need to step away from full time performing in the ring, and two best guys on the stick in WCW, and, and they're just not into it, which is too bad. So it's just not working for everybody, and it it kind of reflects. I, I don't know if this is the best way to use these guys but i can't think of another way to do it so hopefully they figure it out what do we think bob just all over the place yet again uh in a storyline aspect of it i I, it doesn't bother me too much i mean like you mentioned it kind of renders what they've done for the last two months to really at the end of the and at the end of the day mean nothing but there's also the approach of these are two veteran guys that want to control their spot and it's easier to do that if they work together to keep the young guys down so if you're going with the approach of the idea being that flair and piper are going to keep your bagwells keep your benoits keep your uh ray mysterios and saturns and booker t's and keep those guys down to build towards an angle where eventually these these group of, or in malenko i guess can be in there too uh have these guys kind of leap over them to then try to elevate them over time. There's potential for that working. I don't know if it would necessarily work for me as I've already discussed. Um, but my main problem with this is that it's very hard to elevate your talent, your younger talent. When guys like Piper immediately cuts them down on the microphone and you might be wondering, well, what am I refer Like, what are you talking about? There was a promo where Piper said that, you're only a star if you rustle in the garden. And it was directed towards Bagwell. Which, that would be fine if Bagwell was the only guy that didn't work the garden or hasn't worked at the garden. Turns out about 90% of the WCW roster hasn't even been in the Madison Square Garden parking lot, let alone in a ring in front of 20,000 people. So you're telling the fans that any of these guys coming up really mean absolutely nothing. They're not going to be stars. Get over it. And I like, and I think it's hilarious where he's like, oh, we were good 12 years ago. So that justifies us being good now. That's like Patrick Ewing 
the Knicks center, for those of you that don't know, has bum knees. And he's like, you know what? I'm pushing like 40. I'm like 38 or whatever. But you know what? I was really good in like 1992. So you need to give me a five-year deal for $100 million. It makes no sense. But that's exactly WCW's logic, is that these guys were good 12 years ago. That's their whole business plan. Good 12 years ago, we'll have them do now. Um, the only way that, it's, that it works out, and I think even dating into, into May, that at Fall Brawl, and I'm a sucker for stipulations, you put you know Flair, Piper, and two other guys, or three other guys, however, if you want to do four or five, you do a War Games, and for the love of God, you actually book it right, and you have your four or five promising young guys just beat the crap out of them. And you go in starting in the fall, whoever those five guys are, you move forward with those guys. Let Flair and Piper, Savage, all these guys kind of just wean off of them, cut bait, and start anew. But it's WCW, so that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to put that in my, my my ever-growing box, my overflowing box of great ideas that will not happen, I think, Bob. Um, sounds great. Makes so much sense. It's definitely the thing they need to do to put as many of the old guys as they can out to pasture in as far as they can and push the new guys. So, yeah, not going to happen. Well, my goodness. I mean, I've been known to pick up a Playboy magazine from time to time to read about myself or to read the articles, but I know I have no idea what she's doing here. I, I guess you just <laughs> never know who's going to show up. On the 21st, Savage, Sid and Molasses turn up, but in a limo, so does Nash, and he runs ish after theirs. So we are in Louisiana and Kidman Psychosis should get us off to a flyer, but after a few minutes, Sid and Savage are here to remind us what real stars look like. Sting eventually hops down to help, and Nash comes along later still. To point out Sting didn't put a finger on the guys who left, and grabbed Steiner out of a Hummer recently. Sting denies being the whodunit, but if Nash finds out he did, then Franchise Boy is in trouble. Meng Tong and Death Grips Lenny Lane for a win, even despite all that baby oil, and then Lodi revives him. Master P and crew are in the ring. He drags in some schmuck for a rendition of Happy Birthday to one of them by the name of Seth, but Hennig is here to apologise and has a gift of his own, a cowboy hat, so of course Seth treats him to a big slab of birthday cake. Hoovy versus Eddie. Guerrero is back and he is on form and wins a quality encounter with the frog splash. The prince, the cat, the shits. Miller wins with a kick. Canyon, or Canyon, as he seems to be going by these days, against Booker. As you have already correctly postulated, the Jersey triad are in to put a stop to it, including a diamond cutter onto the belt. Gene brings out the Prez and Vice Prez along with Arn and Asia. Piper's cheap heat attempts are very disappointing as is trying to convince us Buffy didn't beat Ric Flair last week. His girlfriend called Flair's room last night. You know where that one goes. But here comes Buff though. Flair kicks his ass, then calls for the bell to ring. Let me hear that noise your girlfriend made last night. It becomes a handicap match and Buff hangs in there until the numbers get too great. 
Malenko is down to help and becomes Brock's partner. He tags in and after a flurry locks the interfering arm in the cloverleaf. So Piper gets the knocks and hits buff and flare covers and... Ray Conan versus the Jersey Triad ends when Wyndham and Hennig hit the ring. The soldiers get in the ring and then Benoit and Saturn join in. Sid and Sting is our main event in a Havoc 93 rematch. Macho is out and helps Sid any way he can, including getting in for the DQ we all knew we were getting. Luger, not Nash, comes to the rescue with a chair. Macho burbles, then Sid shouts a lot. Yeah, I've missed typing that. And then Sting risks the company receiving another letter from that nice Mr. McDivitt, as you are about to hear. We got two words for you! In front of the statue of Michael Jordan, we learn that David Flair has a world title shot on the 28th. David Flair, in front of the statue of Michael Jordan. Stephen Regal is back, and he has dropped the axe and lumberjack coat to team up with Finley to face Benoit and Saturn. He is a little rusty here in truth, but as he calls Saturn a bloody tart, I can forgive it. Perry gets revenge though by pinning him with a DVD. Van Hammer, complete with stray boom camera, interrupts Flair and co backstage. Piper rewards him with a US title match versus Rick Steiner. And now they are here with Gene. We learn that David Flair is indeed the number one contender, oh lord, and he will face Nash in a lumberjack match. And now they bring Macho down to make him a deal. Sid comes along too, yay. He wants them to be lumberjacks and offers reinstatement of the elbow as a sweetener. Robinson doesn't like that, but Sid does, and that is good enough for me. Eddie goes over Lodi, much to Lenny's displeasure. The triad are added as lumberjacks, and then Bam Bam uses their help to beat Hack. Here comes the champ. He knows everybody in WCW wants him to lose the strap, and his only friend Scott Hall is sitting at home in Orlando. Sitting? So this means a stipulation. If he beats David tonight, he gets Tori for 72 hours. Why only 72 hours? Because any more would ruin her. The West Texas Rednecks beat the B team with a Kendall and Duncan double DDT. The Cat and Disco have a dance contest, then a match. Oh yeah, spring that one on me, why don't you? Jerry Flynn escapes the clutches of Pete Kimber briefly enough to kick Ernest Miller down. He then gives the old deer in charge of the bleep machine at TNT something to do. Kickboxing match, you heard what they can't Jerry Flynn. Bagwell and Malenko get two visual pins versus the triad, but still lose. And here is the premiere of I Hate Rap, which is at least heartfelt, let's say that. Sid versus Scott Putsky, that's all you need me to say on that one. And so here indeed is Nash versus David Flair, with Arn as the ref. The Lumberjacks go for Kev straight away, and after a while allow David to put the figure of four on, but it doesn't work. Tony on commentary. Let the mismatch commence. Nash then successfully takes on all the Lumberjacks. He even takes the taser off David, but yeah, like he needed it. He then walks off with Tori and George. He escapes in a limo, as we see a reflection of Sting in the rear view of a Hummer. Who needs match results anyway, eh? He's got gorgeous George! He's got gorgeous George! And he's got the taser! He's holding up here! Oh, he jabbed the macho man with it! Where's he taking her? And look at Tori! Tori, smiling, walking out with Kevin Nash! And no one's gonna come near him as long as he has that taser in his hand. He has hijacked Gorgeous George! He's gonna walk out of here with Gorgeous George and Tori Wilson! Oh, 
And she's yelling for the macho man. She needs help. What Who knows to, where he's going to take her? What a way to walk out of here. Our cameras are going to attempt as long as we can to follow here. Oh, God. As uh, that taser has, uh, has wiped out all these lumberjacks and all these men here. Okay, there's our cameras in the back. Taking her to his dressing room. Good camera work. Listen to her scream. Open the door. Remember, Tori was part of the deal, but looked like she walked out under her own. Uh, under oh, her taking court. her in the car. Oh, to put her in the limo. Look at the. Did you see in that rearview mirror on the? I did. Did you see who that was? Yes, I did. Look, that was that was Sting in the Hummer. That was Joe Mantrak. Sting was in that Hummer. And so to finish, let's talk about my hero and yours, Mr. Kevin Nash, shall we? What you heard there, everybody, was him after a grueling four-minute world title match with David Flair. <laughs> taking on all the big-name heels you could possibly name off. I counted eight. There might well have been more. Sid, Savage, the Jersey Triad, many, many others. Arn, every... Just, the list, in my, the list in Nash's head is endless. And what does he do after oh, that particular match? Don't forget, he's only got one friend in the world who's somewhere in Orlando, apparently. Doesn't matter anyway. He manages to fend them all off with nary a scratch. He actually was armed at some point, like he needed to be. And what happens even after that? He manages to leave with two of Savage's lovely ladies. He gets the girl and he kills the baddies and does so very, very easily indeed. So much so that when he left, it didn't even bother him that Sting's mask face was was there in the Hummer again. Uh, Bob, what I've said there and the audio pretty much sums it up. So you can be brief on this one. But uh, Kevin Nash, ultra super baby face that we all need to love. And the fact he's already beaten everybody on the roster means we don't need to care either. So yay. I hate it. Uh, he's he's not a I don't know. He's not a babyface. He was awful as the super mega babyface five years ago. Uh, and he's awful at it now. He's better at being, if you want to call it cool, but he's better at being the cool heel or whatever. And and he's really nothing without Scott Hall. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw that in there that his value is diminished greatly. And I don't even want to comment on the uh, David Flair situation that had even transpired so i am not going to comment on that because it just does not deserve my breath eric if you're not right now you know, bowing towards kevin nash which of course we should all be doing if I, uh, me and bob will take up the slack while you do some talking before you join us again it's oh, it's wow. just yeah it, i'm sorry it's just baffling that this is the this would be the 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 payoff of like a six-month feud and where the the baby face who's been you know hit with every trap and peril on their journey and they've they've sold more than they've more than they've given you know over the course of however long and you know they've lost all their friends and maybe they've had an injury and and then at the end of the day you overcome the odds you get the girl and you hit the road and that's not what happens on a throwaway episode of Nitro um so I just think, yeah, they're hot shotting all this stuff, and they're trying to make Kevin. Na they're trying to put the cart before the horse and make Kevin Nash the cool babyface before they do anything that might establish him as a true cool babyface. And I even disagree. I think Kevin Nash is best as the badass 
as the badass kind of I don't give a fuck killer like they had him booked uh, with his last few months in the Fed. Uh, basically, between his loss to Brett at Survivor Series '95, all the way through the the Good Friends Better Enemies match with yep. Sean, I think that's the best Diesel, Kevin Nash, uh, or best Kevin Nash was when he was heel Diesel. I don't think you want Kevin Nash to be the cool heel because I don't think cool heels do anything but but bury faces who you're ultimately trying to get over, and I don't think Kevin Nash should be a baby face or at least one with a central. Uh, positioning in the company because he's seven feet tall he's 300 pounds and he can be credible as a as a ruthless ass kicker but he's just such a hokey hokey baby face and he makes dick jokes and he's just kind of gross so yeah i think this was just a further example of a lack of the ability to book himself as the top baby face it's a it's a it's turning into a spectacular train wreck yeah, I <laughs> train jet again, and quite rightly so. That there's a, that metaphor is here for a reason. Uh, Kevin Nash, as a babyface, is trying to be a cool babyface, and as we all know, if you try to be cool, you end up rendering yourself very, very uncool. Marge Simpson learned the lesson. Kevin Nash needs to as well, and you've got to have a situation where if you are the babyface, ch- I don't care. Yes, I know six foot eight 300 pounds all the rest of it he should be able to mow through a lot of people i understand that but you've got to be able to have and work the situations especially if you're building month to month the pay-per-views like wcw now are these days put a little bit of doubt in my mind but then i suppose not two hours ago we were talking about this is a guy who was rammed into by a hummer three or four times and didn't even have a little tiny scratch on his pinky finger. So I suppose eight heels actually trying to beat them up with punches and kicks and other wrestling moves. Ah, he barely even gets out of bed for that. But yeah, he might be very happy with this. But what about those eight or so heels now? What does this do for their credibility? I'm asking that question. You're asking that question. Our listeners are asking that question. Nobody is going to waste their time, though, asking Kevin Nash that question, because let's face it, we all know what the answer is going to be. And that, after almost exactly two and a half hours of discussion and train metaphors, is the end of our WCW June 1999 show. If either of you have any voices left, I would like to thank you both. Uh, Eric Landstrom, thank you very much for everything you've offered on this particular show. It won't be your last one, don't worry. Well, good, good. Um, yeah, I know this was uh, this was obviously a challenging one. The shows are shows are that are this bad are tough to talk through. See WrestleMania 15, and shows that are often very very good are tough to talk through. And so, yeah, this one presented some challenges, but I'm glad we found some some Buff Bagwell uh, subject matter to, <laughs> to tide us over. Sorry about that for the listener, but there's that little forward button if you want to skip ahead on that one. Oh, it's too late now. <laughs> More Bagwell discussion than anybody could ever possibly wish for, if not once. Uh, Eric, anything to plug for us? Uh, not really. Just if you find me retweeted uh, at Modern Day Lawyer on the Wrestling 20 Years Ago uh, feed, just, you know, whatever. It means I've said something funny that Rory appreciated. <laughs> Damn, he's worked me out already. And uh, Bob, uh, thank you, especially for all the Bagwell stuff. And uh, oh, yeah, the, the other stuff as well. Yeah, I mean... Clearly, at some point here, I was trying to talk out of my ass uh, and I failed miserably. But, you know, I'm trying to, you know, make WCW better. And uh, that might that's turning into a very challenging thing to do. But, I can't wait to see how that turns yeah, out. Right. Bob, anything you want to plug for us? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I got a few. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Yo Bobby Boy 89. Uh, I tend to tweet about, you know, stuff like this and uh, other things that happened 20, 25 years ago because I don't care about anything today. Uh, I got WrestlingRecaps.com where I write about all the stuff that I watch, uh, long form, so you can go over there too. And of course, I got my own podcast with my buddy Austin Skinner, Icopod, where uh, we're talking about all things WWF. We're uh, close to King of the Ring 1994 as of this recording. So I am prepared for my ears to bleed with Mr. Art Donovan for about two hours and 40 minutes. I can't Gorilla, wait hate that. to talk about that. How much does this guy weigh, Gorilla? He looks like a boxer. <laughs> oh, I thought he was a guy coming to take him to the hospital. <laughs> I, I can't believe the whole thing. Oh, I, I, I could reel them off. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one then. Uh, anything else, Bob? No, I mean, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, for, for <laughs> Hopefully, it's not my last one because this would be a shitty way to go. But uh, <laughs> anybody want to go out on this? Oh, I'm very tempted to um, to end it all in the next couple of minutes, actually. But um, uh, there you go. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good time talking with you guys, have a little nice uh, conversation. Half the stuff I don't even know what I'm talking about or saying, and uh, nor do I really mean. But what I do mean is that I enjoy doing this podcast with you guys, and I look forward to it every time. Thank you very much, Bob. I'm very glad you said that, and indeed that you mean it. Otherwise, I would need to have words. I'm going to keep <laughs> this particular plug of the show. <laughs> going to keep this one particularly brief. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. Uh, do find us on Patreon if you want to drop us $1 for early access to shows, $5 for specials. Uh, the most recent one up there we have is Dan, Chris White, and I talking about most of Money in the Bank 2011. You know, an actual good show, if you remember that sort of thing. So by all means, drop us $5 and hear us talk through that one on the old live watch format. New shows going up every single month. In terms of pro wrestling in 1999, I I do want to say thank you, though, for everybody for your very kind words. The Owen Hart tribute show we did last month. Uh, That one is still very easy to find in the archives if you did miss it, especially if you're new to the show. Now we're getting new listeners every single month. So we did put a lot of work into that particular one because we do think it was warranted. And I actually listened back to it yesterday and I still think it sounds um, it sounds very good indeed, if you don't mind my saying so. Obviously, a lot of Owen Hart tribute shows around over the last few weeks, a lot which you know, deserve a whole world of credit. I do think we tried to approach things from a slightly different angle, especially as it was both in timeline mode and out. And you will get to hear Eric plot a course that led to uh, Owen Hart, WWF champion. So by all means, check that one out if you missed it. Uh, just to sum up, volume one for this month is indeed June 99, WWF, King of the Ring, another winner of a pay-per-view, and the relative safe haven on volume three of editions of ECW Hardcore TV. But from me, Rory McNamara, and from Eric Landstrom, and Bob Colling, goodbye. If you know what I mean. 